Welcome to episode 66 of the So Video Games Podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we are playing it, we will be talking about it. Today, we are recording on January 23rd, 2018. My name is Brad Galloway. I am the editor of GameCritics.com, and I am 50% of this here show. With me, as always, is Corey Motley, uh, who is a staff writer at Game Critics. How are you, Corey? Brad, I have a confession to make. Oh, God. This, this is, is a, we're, we're just starting the show, dude. We're just starting is, the show. No, this is a good one. You'll be you'll be happy. Okay. All right. So, I'm bracing myself. Well, it's gonna start off a little a little raw, then it's gonna get good. So, oh, God. you so. know, if, if I had a dollar for every time somebody told me it's gonna start off raw and end up good, I'd have a couple bucks. But go ahead. <laughs> so every every once in a while, whenever like we're getting ready to record. Or when, like, I know that we're going to be recording during the day. And today was one of those days, and I don't mean to be a downer, but it just was, like, I went to work this morning on a few hours of sleep, and I got home, and, like, I had a bunch of laundry to do, and I've got, like, pictures to edit, and I was just like, oh, man, I just kind of don't really feel like doing the show today. Like, I it's just going to, like, take up a bunch of time, and I need to be doing laundry, and just like, oh, man. And sometimes I just, like, have that mentality. And I'm not to say, that's not to say that I, like, you know, don't want to do the show. But to, to be honest with you, every single time I have that feeling like in my gut or in the back of my mind, all it takes is like hopping on here and talking to you for like 30 seconds to just really like brighten my day and make me feel good about like the show and recording and to like lift my spirits and like put me in a much better place. So thank you for that, because today was one of those days for me. Oh, good. Oh, good. You're not lying, are you? No. Okay, good. Just wanted and, to check because that's a really sweet that, sense of it. I'm saying that too because um, as if listeners, if you stick around for the banter at the end of the show, Brad and I just talked for like an hour, like literally an entire hour, did like a tiny Q&A at the end. And so like I'm like happy and I'm glad because we just talked about a bunch of stuff and I feel like way better than I did like two hours ago and I'm like ready to do like the show proper now. Awesome. Awesome. Well, that's good, man. I, I'm glad that you got perked up because I always look forward to talking with you. It's like one of the high points of my week every week, as you know. Love doing the show with you, my friend. Um, and yeah, folks, if you want some banter, boy, howdy, do we got some banter for you. This is this is crazy week for banter. So if you if you swing that way, definitely uh, catch that. Um, in fact, we do have a packed show with uh, a ton of stuff to talk about. But yeah, just listen to the banter after the ending music. It's a real hoot and holler today. Uh, you'll definitely catch up with what we've been doing, what we've been talking about. It's, it's uh, not your usual banter segment. So anyway, um, we're going to get right to what I'm assuming a lot of you came for, the games chat. And we do have a lot to cover. Um, this week, we're going to be talking about the Monster Hunter World beta, as well as the Metal Gear Survive beta. Uh, and we've got your comments on both. Yes, you, that, that you, right there. Your comments, <laughs> we got them. But before we get to those, we are going to be talking, as usual, about our individual games picks. Um, we did a little bit of shuffling around. I'm going to kick things off this week, Corey, if you don't mind. I'm going to talk really quickly about Darkest Dungeon on the Switch. Are you familiar with Darkest Dungeon? I remember you talking about it on the show before, and I remember me i mean as usual because you and i like our tastes rarely overlap in games i remember you talking about it, me thinking like oh you know it sounds all right but it's probably nothing that i would like really want to go in on so uh has the switch version um changed your life in any way from the last time that you played it well i you know um sort of sort of <laughs> um 
So just to set things off, Darkest Dungeon started off as a Kickstarter. I think it's almost four years ago now. Uh, it had a very successful Kickstarter. They brought it to PC. Very successful there. Uh, brought it to PS4 and Vita. Very successful there. Uh, basically, it is a... It's not exactly a roguelike, uh, but it's like you, you take a party of four characters out of several different types of characters. You got like a fighter... You've got a, you know, a healer, you've got a thief, you know, there's the, there's the different character archetypes. And then there's also a couple like really oddball archetypes. There's like an archaeologist, I believe, and uh, like a black, uh, like a, like an arcane arts dude. There's a, a guy that turns into a monster. There's a, a different, whole bunch of different types. Um, you put together a party of four and then you go into the dungeon, uh, not the darkest dungeon, because the darkest dungeon is the very final dungeon. But you go into a series <laughs> of dungeons before the, the slightly less dark dungeons. And uh, so you, it's a 2D RPG, which sounds kind of weird, but your four guys line up in a line, enemies line up in a line, and the trick to this game is that everybody has abilities which depend on where they're standing. So, like, the fighter, or, like, the, you know, the knight or whatever, he will have a bunch of abilities that are available to him if he is the first person in line. If he, so, like, he can have a really strong sword swing, and if he's first person in line, he'll... He'll hack up whoever's standing in front of him on the opposite side. But if he somehow manages to find himself at the back of the line to be the last person in line, he cannot hit anybody because he's back there. He cannot reach with his sword. So like a lot of his abilities are disabled because he's back there, which means he's way less effective. Uh, same thing goes for like the healer. The, the healer has like a mace. She can whack dudes with it if she's in the front of the line, but it's not the greatest attack. Probably not the best place to have her. But when she's back, way back in the party, she is a little bit more protected. She can cast her more powerful healing spells, uh, light spells to, to light up the dark dungeons. Um, so everybody's got their own jam and everybody has to be in a very specific place in the lineup. And that's kind of the trick. So enemies will try to mess up your lineup. Um, you have to um, plan your party very well to make sure the guys are standing in the right place. And as you go through, it's very uh, difficult. This game is also extremely difficult, well known for its difficulty. Uh, if you lose people in a dungeon, that's it. They are dead permanently. There is no getting them back. So you have to be very careful uh, with people that you like. I mean, of course, you can get new characters. So you never run out of characters. But, you know, it really hurts to have somebody that you've been partying with for a couple dungeons and all of a sudden they take a bad turn or the enemy gets a critical hit that you didn't expect or something happens and you lose a guy. It can be really devastating to your lineup. So... Um, though pretty high penalties if you if you lose a guy and there's lots of other things that happen like stress plays an important part in the game if characters are in a dark place they feel more nervous more susceptible to being surprised if they're in a, a well-lit place they feel calmer um, so things like that um, it's really complicated really ornate and and uh, lots of moving pieces to it but i love it a lot i think it's a really brilliant take on the traditional rpg system uh, I just love the way that uh, it plays out. I think it's really entertaining. And I got to say, the thing that really sells it to me is the art. The artwork is fucking it's phenomenal. Just like, I love the art so much. It really sells it to me because, to be honest with you, I don't know that I would love it as much as I did if it didn't look the way that it does. I mean, if it had just like rando, like JRPG chibi graphics, or if it was something boring and pixely, like I don't know that I would be on board with it, but I love the way it looks. It just looks so stylish. And um, it really just clicks with me very, very much. So I really love love that. Uh, loved it on the PS4, but I got to say, as much as I love that game, it uh, it's not exactly the kind of thing that I want to play in front of my PS4. And let me ask if this makes any sense to you, Corey. But like when I when I get home, 
Um, and I'm in front of my TV and I, I got the PS4 control in my hand. I want like kind of like a bigger, flashier kind of experience, you know, like I want something that looks really nice. Like, you know, I don't know, just something fancier. I don't, I don't generally want something that's, um, really smaller and quiet. I mean, I, I struggle to even describe this, but it's almost like to me, some games work better on a handheld and some games work better on a TV and Darkest Dungeon to me always seemed like something that I would want to chip away at on a handheld uh, for an hour here, hour there. It's not really something that's like flashy enough that would really keep me in front of my TV for like three hours at a time. Do you know? Does that make sense to you at all? I, you're like, str- I'm struggling on this one, but I think I sort of understand what you're talking about. I just, I've, I, I guess I'm not doing a good job explaining this. I apologize, but it's like, because... A lot of Darkest Dungeon is just repetition. Like, you're going into the dungeons, you're leveling up, you're recruiting new guys. I mean, you're kind of like, it's, I don't want to say it's a grind, because I think it's really enjoyable, and grind to me kind of sounds like inherently negative, but it's the kind of thing where you just kind of chip away at it, and it's it's not like a really high octane, and you just kind of, it, it always seemed to me like I really wanted to play it on the Vita, um, and not on my PS4, just because like when I'm on my PS4, I want like, bigger, better, brighter, more high-octane, high-energy. Anyway, sorry. We're just going to go. We're just going to leave this alone. It just seemed to me like it would be better fit on on a portable. So I was really excited when it came to Vita, but unfortunately, it was impossible to play on the Vita because um, the controls were fucked up, and it was so small. There's a lot of information on screen, and it was just impossible to play. My eyes were straining, and I couldn't read the text, and it was just a real problem. So... As much as I liked it on PS4, I just I just kept getting distracted by other bigger, brighter, flashier things, and I never finished it because it's a pretty significant significant commitment. It's not an easy game, so I was excited when it was going to come to the Switch. Uh, I thought that would be perfect because I could play it on the TV when I felt like it. But then when I didn't want to play it on TV, take it out of the cradle, bring it to me uh, with me in bed, play it for an hour before bedtime, which is what I've been doing, and that has worked out really well. Um, I really like this. I mean, so I like this game in general. It's an awesome game. Recommend it to anybody who wants kind of a more difficult RPG, kind of a semi-roguelike sort of thing. I mean, it's a, it's a fantastic game. But I will say that um, I'm still having some problems reading it. It's it's still really small, even though the Switch screen is bigger than the Vita screen. Uh, it's The text is really tiny. And I got to say, my eyes get really tired after a while of playing it in portable mode. So I end up usually only playing it for like an hour before bed, and then I'm kind of done with it. So I do like like one run a night, which is fine. And that's really optimally where I wanted it. But I just wish the text was bigger. Um, that seems to be kind of a common issue with games these days in general, uh, which blows. I mean, like, you would think that after all this time, we would, like, have gotten that nailed down a long time ago. You know, like, we're struggling with VR and we're struggling with photorealism. What's the problem with having, graph? you know, text that's legible? You know, that's, that seems like a very basic thing to have a problem with. But uh, I heard the developers are working on it. We'll see. But I'm kind of bummed the text is so small. It's a little it'll, a little small in general. But uh, other than that, I really do like it. And I do think that it is a good fit for portable. I, I, I've been doing a little bit here and there, a little bit before bed. I really like it there. Uh, I've gotten a lot of progress in, which probably I would have gotten further. I'm, I'm getting further now than I would have if I was to sit in front of my regular console and put time in there, if that makes any sense. It just feels like a better fit. Kind of like how you, um, you know, there's like certain games that you'll play on iOS, like on your phone, like if you're standing in a line, you'll play three minutes of something there, but you don't want to play that same game when you get home, you know what I mean? Yes. 
So kind of that same thing. So overall, I think it's a really good version. If you do not have Darkest Dungeon, the Switch is a real good place to have it if you uh, have a Switch. Um, same great game, and I do think the portability adds a lot. I will say really quickly, though, um, just word of warning, uh, there's a DLC out for this game, which is called The Crimson Court, which adds uh, a very unusual take on vampires, very unexpected take on vampires. Uh, I find that DLC to be extremely difficult, like even more difficult than the core content, which I already felt was already super difficult. So I would caution people, um, don't just jump into that DLC right away. You can disable that when you start your game. Um, so please uh, get your feet wet first, know what you're doing, and maybe make a backup save because I started with the Crimson Court and I knew what I was doing and I still felt like it was too much. So I turned it off and I started a new game immediately and I would caution people, don't get too far in the Crimson Court stuff if you don't exactly know what you're doing. So heads up on that. Uh, but overall, glad to see it on the Switch. I think it is in general a good fit and I'm happy to play it again. And I really do want to finish it this time. Uh, I'm going to do my best. And I think that if I put like an hour in before bed at night, I think I will eventually get there. So that is my plan. Corey, any of this sounding good to you? I'm guessing probably not. Not really. I mean, the only thing that sounds good to me is, um, like I've said before, the prospect of buying a Switch. Like, I want to buy one at some point. Um, and the good news is that they are pretty much readily available. Like, you know, I can eat all the words that I've said before about, you know, expecting the Switch to be out of stock everywhere. Because pretty much every time I go to, like, a Target or something in the area, I see at least one, if not several, in stock. So hopefully, should the day come that I have the money and decide to buy one, I can just, like, go get one. Um, but I hope that that day will be soon, maybe in the next, like, six months or so. Well, keep us posted, man. I mean, this is another great example of indies coming to the Switch, and I think it's a real good fit. I'm really happy that the Switch is the new home of indies apart from PC. So uh, one more one more big win for the Switch, for sure. This is, I mean, regardless of the difficulty of that DLC or my problems with the text, this is a huge get for the Switch, and I think it's a very, very, very good game to have on the Switch. So thumbs up to Darkest Dungeon. I really do love it a lot. Um, that's all I have to say, though. Corey, let's talk to you, sir. Uh, Evil Within 2, the demo. Tell us all about it. <laughs> um, well, okay, so the Evil Within and I have a very tumultuous past, which includes, like a lot of games that I end up disliking, me thinking that it was going to be like amazing and then it ended up not being amazing. And whenever the Evil Within 2 came out, I... I didn't want to play it at all. Like, I had no plans to gamefly it. I had no plans to, you know, buy it or whatever. Because I, like, the first one rubbed me the wrong way in such a way that I pretty much figured that I would never be interested in the series ever again. And from what I had read about the second one, it seemed like it was going to even more of a direction of what I wouldn't want to play. But, as I suspect, and I don't know if this has to do with Bethesda's uh, review policy that went into effect like a year ago uh, or if it has to do with other things but uh, Bethesda has been getting really active about releasing demos for their games on uh, the Xbox One and on the PlayStation 4 which I love because I love demos I think they're wonderful they let you play the game see what it's about and then you can decide if you want to rent it or if you want to buy it or whatever but I just think it's fascinating because a lot of 
companies do not do game demos anymore. They were huge during the 360 and the PS3 era. And now, like, that the PS4 and the Xbox One came out, I see them uh, less and less on the consoles. And maybe it's because Bethesda's games aren't selling well or something, but, like, Doom had a demo, Prey had a demo. Um, I don't know if Wolfenstein 2 had a demo, but The Evil Within 2 has a demo now. And I thought, well, sure, why not? It's free, I can download it, I can play it, kind of see what the game is about, maybe, like... Because I, I would be happy if this game surprised me and I ended up really liking it or liking the feel of it and then wanted to play it more. Because as I've said before on the show, I never I never go into a game wanting to dislike it. I mean, I didn't like the first Evil Within, but because it was a free demo, I would have been more than happy, you know, to prove to be proven wrong and to have enjoyed it. But I must come today and say that I did not enjoy it very much. Um, so the Evil. I don't even know where to start with The Evil Within because it's such a stupid concept. Like, The Evil Within 1, sort of like the base concept of the game is that you are in this... It's kind of like The Matrix in a sense that you're like... You're in the main character, uh, Detective Sebastian Castellanos, um, is in this, like, device that sort of, like, plugs his head into this, like... Um, like other realm where he is there he, he populates some of it with like his subconscious and basically like everybody that's plugged in sort of populates different parts of it with different parts of their mind and there's like a host body that's sort of like they all it's kind of like part matrix part the cell and part inception because like there's a host body and they all sort of like go into that person's mind but it doesn't keep them from populating certain parts of it with their own subconscious. And it's a survival horror game. That's something I should probably mention here. Um, and the first one had major issues because it was like, or, or in my opinion, some people really liked this about this game, but I did not like it about the first one where it had major connectivity issues where because the game takes place sort of like in someone's head, like the game can basically just like, throw things up in the air and then like completely transport you to a different location at any point. Like you can be like in an insane asylum and then two seconds later you're in like a dungeon and then two seconds later you're in some like desert village and then and the next scene you're in like a these like bowels sewer area again and and it's there's like no connectivity between them. It's just totally random. And so in the new one, the Evil Within 2 I don't know if they were trying to solve that problem, and I haven't played it enough to figure out if they solved the problem, but the big thing about The Evil Within 2 is that it's kind of open world now, where instead of it being this linear, um, these, like, linear uh, areas and story beats, uh, you play, I mean, the first, like, hour or so of it is linear, and then it ends up opening up into this, uh, this sort of, like, town area, and, and, uh, and it's just, like, I, I feel like this is not the direction that I would have wanted the game to go because, I mean, I've said it before, I'm not really super into open-world games. Like, an open-world game has to do something pretty special to really keep me around or to keep me interested. So if you're adding an element that I don't like into a game that I already don't like, I mean, the odds are that I'm not really going to be that interested in it. And that's pretty much the case here, like... The story has little to nothing to do with the first game. And it's, I feel like it's trying to be very, like, kind of like Twin Peaks y. 
and I just can't get on board with it. And I like I got the demo has uh, the first three chapters of the game. I think I played it for about an hour and a half last night, and I didn't finish it, but I did get into the middle of chapter three, so I got pretty close. But toward the end of it, you just get to this area where the world basically just starts to open up, and it's just like. It just seems like it's just like a grab bag of them trying to like take all these elements from other games and make it work for them because you have like a guy that you're supposed to go rescue and then you there's like a dialogue system and you can decide which uh, order you want to ask him questions or if you want to ask him anything at all and then there's like a save station and then you have like different mission objectives you have to go do and you have to you know run around the town to go do the mission objectives and there's like crafting parts and there's a crafting bench and it feels a lot like the last of us like the crafting bench is almost copied and pasted out of the last of us where it's like a weapon bench and you can craft items or you can upgrade your weapons and you have to pick up weapon parts and you can also upgrade your character's abilities because you know shaving a quarter of a second off of your reload time is really going to be like the game changer that it that you're going to (laughs) need to get you forward and it's just like it's just all of, like, the open-world bullshit that I don't like about games crammed into a game that I already didn't like in the first place. And, I mean, I was willing to give it a shot, and it was a free demo, and that's exactly what the demos were for. But, right, right. I mean, I can say with perfect confidence that I I didn't think I was going to like this game, and I played it, and it was exactly what I thought it was going to be, and I have no plans of playing it any further. Interesting. You know, I know a lot of people were really not down with the first Evil Within. Although, I gotta say, like, when you were describing it, I mean, it sounds kind of cool. It does, and that's what kills me. Sorry to cut you off, but, like, the concept is so cool because, like, the movie The Cell with Jennifer Lopez and Vince Vaughn. Right, right. Yeah, we talked about this. Yeah, yeah, like, I, I mean, that movie is probably, like, I'm sure you and I are, like, the only people on the planet that remember that movie right now. But, like, that movie is so fascinating. It's, like, the... The, the point of the game is, you know, the, the, there's, like, no limit for the amount of creativity they could put into this game. They could do the fucking craziest shit in it, or they could do whatever they want. And then it ends up just boiling down to all the shit that we've seen before. Like, you're in a bloody insane asylum. There's a guy with a chainsaw. There's a Japanese woman boss with long black hair. And it's just, like, it's all these story beats and all these fucking stereotypical horror things that we've seen over and over and over again. So, like, they open the game to this, like, giant box of creativity, and then they just cram it with all the shit that we've seen before, and it's so fucking annoying. Oh, my God. <laughs> you, What you said really made that connection for me, because ugh, it's just annoying. Like, you know, the sky's the limit on this kind of game, and the concept is so interesting, but the execution is just not what I want out of it. Well, so, I... I so... I, 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 the first one sounds interesting. I've never played it. And I, I, as interesting as it sounds, everybody that I talked to, uh, including you, uh, says that the first game was horrible. Um, I think Steve Haskey is like the only person on earth who really likes it. And if you know Steve, well, <laughs> that makes perfect sense. Um, hey, Steve. I know he doesn't listen to the show, but in case he's listening, hey, Steve, what's up? Um, so that's a bummer. But I heard a lot of people come to the Evil Within 2. And again, I have, I have not played Evil Within 2 either. I'm just, this is hearsay. Uh, but I heard a lot of people say they actually were surprised by it and they really ended up liking it. But, I mean, it kind of sounds like... So So just to clarify, again, the guy is inside the mental thing, again, in Evil Within 2, right? Or Evil Within 2. He's uh, it's, it's not the real world. He's in the, the machine, right? Yeah, he is. Okay, so again, he has the possibility of doing anything that the human brain can imagine. 
But it, like what you described to me kind of sounds like a mix of like, I don't know, like Resident Evil 4 and Last of Us and maybe that one Silent Hill game where you were walking around um, and it was raining all the time. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it just sounds like pretty standard generic horror game. Like, I mean, is there anything really that ever cap? I mean, I guess you don't know from just the three, <laughs> three levels that you played, but nothing about that sounded like it really capitalized on the concept at all. So is that the problem with this game again? I, I feel like it is. I mean, it, and, you know, and maybe it's reeling in those people with the second one that, you know, just kind of like the open world experience because, I mean, there's certainly a large demographic of people out there that like this kind of game and that, you know, maybe, like, they become numb to, like, the gaming experience and just kind of, like, coast through on it uh, because it's open world and it just kind of, like, keeps you in the grind and it keeps you doing one thing after another. But... I found very little um, engaging in this demo, and I just wasn't. I just wasn't interested in it. It's just a bunch of stock characters and stock stereotypical situations with stock monsters and you know stock cutscenes and bad dialogue, and it's just really stupid. Hmm. Well, I can't say that this one was high up on my list of games to play. Although I was kind of looking at it because. It had unexpectedly gotten so much um, goodwill towards the end of the year. I had heard a lot of people say they were surprised by how good it was, and so I'm like, "Oh, okay. Well, maybe they, maybe they turn that around." But uh, I don't know. I mean, and hey, maybe you know, I... maybe it's a classic case of it gets better later. But if like an hour and a half isn't good enough to get me in, then I mean, it's I'm not gonna play it anymore after that. Yeah, I don't blame you. And there, and honestly, there's no shortage of stuff to play right now. So if an hour and a half doesn't get you in, why would you put even more time in? That doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, unless it's like the only game you got to play, which, I mean, I find hard to believe these days considering how cheap games are uh, on Steam or rental or whatever. So, all right. Well, that sounds like a whiff for Evil Within 2. Um, let me give a few words uh, on my next game, and then we'll jump into the betas. I wanted to give a quick shout for Subnautica currently on the xbox one early access program it is also on steam i believe it is also early access but it is coming out as a final completed game i think this week so they're basically basically done with it except for a few tweaks here and there but i mean from all intents and purposes it's basically a finished product which is great because I'm starting to really feel like early access is nothing but people begging for money who have no intention to ever fucking finish a game it's really fucking <laughs> irritating the shit out of me um, so anyway, Subnautica, kind of a funny story. My son has a friend who plays a lot of PC games. They're both about the same age. And that friend, his dad, is really into like games as well. So we get along pretty well. Uh, and whenever my son goes over to his house, they always play like all these random Steam games. He's a much, much bigger PC gamer than I've ever been. I mean, they have uh, his dad does computers or something for a living. So they've got computers around and he knows how to fix them and build them and stuff. And so he's way more comfortable with computers than I am. So inevitably, my son always plays whatever whatever's hot on Steam and then comes back and says, Dad, I want to play that here. And I go, yeah, we're not that kind of person. We don't play PC games here. We're not gonna, I'm not going to buy every fucking early access game that you had fun with half an hour for because they're never going to get finished. I'm going to spend money. You know, the game's just going to like rot on my computer. I'm never going to touch it again after one weekend. Forget it. But he really was like banging on about Subnautica. Like he had played it a couple, couple times in a row at his friend's house. He really kept on liking it. And he was like, dad, 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 Subnautica, Subnautica. 
And it was really his jam. Like my my son loves open world games. He loves fuck around games where you can just do weird things. You know, he just loves that kind of just be in the world and waste time kind of experience, which I don't really enjoy, but he likes it. So whatever. Um, so I, I did some poking around and I come to find out that it's actually on the Xbox Live early access program, which I'm like, oh, OK, well, you know, if our house is, is a console house, like anything that's on console, we can easily access and play. That's very comfortable for us. So I was like, oh, okay, let me uh, let me send these guys a uh, an email. And I'm like, if they want to send me a code, that's fine. I'm not going to pay for it because I don't pay for early access anything. But if they want to send me a code, I'll do a little preview on it. And then you can play the preview and we can just, you know, do that. So I sent them an email. Nothing went by. I didn't hear anything for like a month or something like that. Three weeks, a month. Every single day, my son's like, did they, did they send you the code? Did you send you a code? Did you send you a code? I'm like, it was kind of a bummer because, um, you know, not to toot my own horn or anything, but like, you know. I'm the editor of a pretty well-known gaming site, and when I email somebody, I generally get a response back. Like, it's pretty rare that nobody gets back to me. So, I mean, even if they tell me to fuck off, it's fine, but, like, at least they got back to me, right? Like, at least they say something. So, it was really bizarre to not get any kind of response at all, especially from, like, an early access game or an up-and-coming game that needs attention. Usually, those guys are falling all over themselves to, like, you know, to get some previews up or something. So, I thought it was very odd that they didn't get back to me, which was a bummer. But eventually, I did hear back from them. They apologized, like, oh, sorry, you know, something, something, whatever. Didn't mean to get back to you so late. So they did send a code, popped it in, checked it out. And I have to say, it actually was a pretty cool game. I was not expecting that. I was expecting it to be the usual early access garbage. And it ended up being pretty, pretty cool. Um, the premise is that you are on a spaceship. And you're, I don't know what kind of spaceship it is. I'm guessing it's like some kind of a space going cruise liner or something like that. Something happens ships going down and the only planet nearby is like this planet that's like 99% water. So your ship crashes, you're in like a little escape pod, the escape pod crashes in the water. And it's kind of neat because the base gameplay is like collect resources, build some tools, use those tools to collect more resources. You know, it's kind of like a survival crafting game, not my favorite genre, but I really did appreciate that. Like when you crash down in your escape pod, they really took a few minutes to set things up properly. So like, the computer kicks in and it's like, alert, alert, you're in this escape pod. This escape pod is designed with everything to keep you alive as long as you can feed us raw materials. We have all these preloaded blueprints for things that you can make to keep you alive. But we, as long as you get these things that we need, the machine can build it for you. So instead of just being like Minecraft where you go and punch a tree and then build a giant castle out of it, <laughs> it kind of made more sense that this is like the high tech future. You're in something, you know, you're in an escape pod, which is designed to keep you alive in an emergency. I mean, it makes sense that it would be preloaded with all these things that you need. And so all you need to do is land safely and then feed a bunch of stuff into the machine and then it'll make what you need. So that to me made sense in the sci-fi perspective. I really appreciated that kind of drew me in more to the story. And of course, the story is uh, either get yourself off the planet by calling for help or by building a replacement spaceship or maybe by fixing the ship that crashed or whatever. So you land there, you're floating in the water and you just jump down the water and there's it's really cool looking like it, you're just swimming underwater the tons of alien fish all over the place the water is really well like it looks really well realized like you feel like you're kind of underwater lots of beautiful you know uh coral formations and seaweed and all sorts of different things swimming around so it's really cool and peaceful it's not your typical survival game where you're like in a post-apocalyptic wasteland or you're in like a mountainside or you're in a village i mean this is like you're just kind of swimming around underwater and it's it's pretty peaceful Every once in a while, a fish will come by and try to take a chomp out of you, but it's not that big a deal. <laughs> so I started swimming around, gathering some stuff, came back to my pod, fed the stuff into the pod, made 
you know, better swim flippers. I made like a knife to protect myself. I made like some batteries for a flashlight. I mean, it was pretty slow going at first, but it was kind of fun just swimming around and kind of like being in that world. And I did appreciate that I, I was kind of buying into it. Like the whole, the whole premise made sense to me, which was great. So spent some time with that. Eventually you can, um, build like vehicles to take you around faster underwater. You can go deeper to find other things. Uh, there are eventually places that you can get up on dry land. It's like 99% water, but you do find that 1% land at one point. Um, I didn't finish the game. I didn't really even get that far. I just kind of was skipping around in the preview version. And I really liked it. I, I would not have said that this would have been my jam beforehand, but after playing this preview and spending some time with it myself, also with my son, I ended up really kind of liking it. And I think that maybe I will probably play this when it is finished on Xbox One. Um, like I said, the finished version hits Steam, I think, this week. And I believe the finished Xbox version is actually not too far behind. So um, it's kind of a surprise recommendation for me. Didn't expect to like this, but ended up liking it quite a bit. And I am looking forward to digging in once it's completely done and it's able to be finished. Because as much um, as I appreciate what developers do when they try to do something like this, I think one thing they miss out on is that a lot of gamers like me like to have an end point. Like, you know, Minecraft, you can play Minecraft forever. Um, there is a story mode that uh, you can do on the consoles. I don't know if it's in the standard Minecraft mode, but I played Minecraft, got to the end of that story mode, and I was done. I was out. That's all I needed, right? So I like I like games where there's an end point. Uh, my son will probably play this forever and stab fish for years, and he'll be happy doing that. But, like, I need an end point. And to know that I can get off the planet and then have credits roll really kind of, um, kind of sealed the deal for me. So... Subnautica, look for it on Steam, finished this week. It's going to be finished on Xbox One pretty soon. And even though it may not be your jam, take a look at it. I, it was not my jam either, but I ended up really liking it. So kind of kind of looking forward to this one. Good. I love a good surprise game that comes out of nowhere that ends up being really great. Yeah, it doesn't happen enough. It doesn't happen enough, but I do love it when it happens. So we will check this out. I'm sure I'll talk about it uh, at some point, maybe later on this summer after the finished thing is out and I've had time to go through it. So we'll see. But yeah, thumbs up. Check it out. Um, all right. Now that we have covered the games that we were going to talk about individually, let's move on to the betas. The betas we mentioned at the top of the show, Monster Hunter World and Metal Gear Survive. Both of these were played by millions, literally millions of people recently. Uh, very hot topics of discussion in game circles uh, over the last couple weeks. Uh, let's talk about this. Um, we oh, So just to, to set the stage, I played both. I played the Metal Gear Survive demo maybe four or five times. I played the Monster Hunter World demo. I did at least five or six different missions. Um, what, how much of each did you play, Corey? I did not play Metal Gear Survive at all because I was I didn't realize that the demo was timed so shortly. So um, I was busy all weekend and did not have time to play it. But I played one the uh, Monster Hunter demo or beta. I mean, I played one the beginner mission, and that is all I played of that one. Oh man, okay, yeah, that was the unfortunate thing that they all these were timed. And they weren't exactly super clear on the time limits. Darn. Okay. That's a shame. So I was initially intending to have you start off with Metal Gear. Did you want me to lead or did you want to take the lead on this one? I mean, I didn't play it, so I feel like you should probably take the lead on this one. Okay. How about this? Let's. I will take the lead. It's talking about the demo, but I want to hear first. 
tell me about just real briefly don't get into like the whole the wikipedia version but <laughs> um your relationship with metal gear your thoughts on metal gear survive like what like how, what mental space does this game have for you like are you interested are you against it are you curious like what like what were you thinking about metal gear survive like where, what place in your mind does it have um well my history with Metal Gear, I've played Metal Gear Solid, Metal Gear Solid 2, Metal Gear Solid 3, Metal Gear Solid 4, Metal Gear Solid 5, and I like all of them except for 5. Um, I, I, I mean, the more, I feel like there hasn't been a lot of info out there about Metal Gear Survive, which is probably why, I mean, I wish I had played the beta because then I could have maybe gotten more of an understanding about what exactly it is, because... For a long time, I was under the impression it was going to be, like, a multiplayer, like, kind of, like, zombie shooter thing in the Metal Gear universe. And, of course, everybody, like, shit on it as soon as it came out. And everybody was like, oh, it's going to be stupid. You know, Kojima's not there anymore. It's going to be garbage. Um, And I didn't really have an opinion one way or the other. Um, But I think on the last show, you told me that there was going to be a story mode or something of the sort in it. So that makes me a little bit more interested. But I mean, if the multiplayer is good enough and I have people to play with, then that definitely piques my interest a little bit. But right now I'm kind of not feeling one way or the other about it. And I'm really sad I didn't get to play it, but um, that's my own fault because I did other dumb stuff in the weekend and didn't play it. Okay. No worries. All right. Um, Just as a quick point of reference for me, I played... Metal Gear Solid 1, 2, 3, and 4. I've done all of the portables, like Metal Gear Acid and uh, whatever. There was a bunch. There was a bunch. There was, like, on Vita. I forget the other one. Uh, Portable Ops, I think it was called, or something like that. Uh, I played all of them except for 5. Although I did play that little... What was that thing called? The the thing they put out before Phantom Pain came out. Oh, uh, Ground Zeroes. Ground Zeroes. I did play Ground Zeroes. Yeah, I I played that too. Okay, so I played and enjoyed that. I did not play actually Metal Gear Solid Five, um, so that's where I'm at. I like the series in general. I'm not a series super fan, and I got to say, I really was not in love with the last couple of games for various reasons. We've co- we've talked about this on the show uh, previously, but basically, I feel like Kojima's kind of trying to torpedo his own series, and he definitely didn't have his heart in things. Um, so I think that's really colored my experience with his last few games. So I was interested to see a game like Metal Gear Survive where they take the mechanics, which are great, but they have people behind it who actually want to be there working on that game and they, you know, are taking it in a different direction. So the beta, very interesting. Uh, the premise is that, uh, I mean, I didn't play it in Metal Gear Solid Five, but basically uh, something happens, a dimensional portal opens up, a big chunk of stuff from Metal Gear Solid Five gets transported into this alternate dimension where there are these weird zombies with crystals for heads and you just have to like survive you just have to live in that world you're trying to get back to your home dimension i would assume uh the part that we saw in the beta was only the multiplayer part and there is actually a single player campaign which i'm actually kind of excited about because i am not one generally for multiplayer online uh and i don't know that that's really where i want this to go but i would be interested in playing the single player so we did not see any of the single player content we just saw the multiplayer what happens is you you make a character you go into the game you pick up a bunch of materials that you find and then you're in this little home base where you have to defend this machine that's like mining resources of some kind uh waves of these zombies come pouring in you have like a pistol a spear a machete 
and that's about it. And like a bunch of zombies come pouring in and it's really hard to keep them off by yourself. You definitely need at least a couple more people. So I teamed up with uh, my wife. We did a couple together. And then my son joined in on the last one and he got a little action in there. Um, pretty cool so far. I like that it has the same mechanics from uh, Ground Zeroes. I thought those mechanics are pretty good, like very detailed. Lots of options you can do. I mean, you can walk all around the environment, climb things, and you can uh, build things. You can get some raw materials and make fences and put fences around the place you're trying to protect. You can uh, make guns and upgrade things. So it seems like even though there was not a lot of time to explore it in the beta, there's a lot of stuff on display that's kind of giving you a flavor of what's coming up later. Uh, also, I thought it was really interesting that uh, after a couple waves happen, there's like a little bonus side mission. So like you would, we would be tempted to leave the core area and go off the beaten path a little bit. Like the first side mission would like refill your bullets. Um, I think we started with like 14 bullets and then we, we went through them really quickly and then you just had no bullets left. So we went to go do a side mission to get some more bullets. The second side mission uh gave us some these little mech suits that were i best i guess available in metal gear solid 5 i think they're called the d walkers i never uh played that so i don't know that you know the details of that but there's little mech suits that had these uh gatling guns mounted on them and they could kick and run around and dash they were super strong so once you got the mech suit unlocked you could like just wreck house on the zombies like it became a whole different game um pretty cool i mean i think the mechanics are very interesting i Again, not super crazy about crafting and stuff, but it seemed to be like uh, in service to some cool mechanics. Uh, I don't know that I would necessarily want to play a lot of the online, but if these mechanics were applied in the single player, I'm down. Like this seems like the kind of thing that I would like to play. I would like to build a base. I would like to get a bunch of cool pieces of equipment. I would like to have a little mech suit I can drive around and kill zombies. I like killing zombies in general. So like all this is working for me. And the other, the, the cherry on top of this is that um, I am not, a big fan of what Kojima has done story-wise lately. I think he's just been off the rails and just really in a world of pain all by himself. And so that boy needs to go and hang out with his movie stars for a while and just heal up and, and do something different, which is great. That's where he is right now. Um, I'm interested in playing a game like this where it's not super crazy. No one's arm is actually another person. No one gets cloned or anything. <laughs> you know, there's nothing, there's no burned bodies in uh, little healing tanks and just, you know, whatever. Let's just have a straight up standard military action game and that's really done well and that seems to be like what this is so i came away from the beta very positive on it i really liked what i saw hopefully the single player will be fully fleshed out and complete and not just like a throwaway because if it's mostly about the online i don't see myself really putting a lot of time into that so tbd um but yeah it's a real shame that you did not uh get into that beta i was really looking forward to your thoughts on that but that's okay the game is coming out um do uh, you, you know the date by any chance? Uh, I don't. Uh, whatever. In the future. Anyway, um, so that's what <laughs> I have to say about the beta. I, th I thought it was cool. I liked it. I thought it was very promising. So I'm looking forward to the complete game. Um, let's move on to the Monster Hunter World beta. Uh, Corey, I am an old Monster Hunter Pro, as people who listen to the show know. I've probably put like at least 1,500 hours in the series, probably more than that. Uh, so that's where I'm coming from. But you, Corey, you're not a Monster Hunter Pro, are you? I have never, ever played a Monster Hunter game. Perfect. That is absolutely perfect. So coming to this game with, like, no background except for what you've heard me say and, you know, what you've picked up on Twitter, social media, whatever. I mean, you know, that little stuff that you absorb as you're in gaming circles. But coming to it fresh, what did you think of the Monster Hunter World beta? 
Well, I I didn't play it under the best of conditions because I was really tired when I played it, and I think that colored my experience of it a little bit. Because uh, to be honest with you, like most of the time I was playing it, I was kind of like dozing off a little bit as I was playing it, which is kind of terrible. Um, but I played it nonetheless, and um, you know, I turned it on, and kind of the first thing you do is you like select what kind of character you want, and you kind of get their equipment ready. And one thing that I really appreciated about the beta is that there was quite a bit of equipment to choose from. Like you have like, I mean, obviously like your shirt and your pants, and you have like a gem or something, like a couple different like accessory items you can put on. And for each one of those slots, there were probably like four or five items you could equip that all did slightly different stat things to you. And there were probably maybe like 10 or so weapons to choose from. And I only played one mission and only did and only used one weapon. Um, but I appreciated that the beta didn't just like throw you in with like a stock character and a single weapon and, you know, give everybody the exact same experience. So the, the customization was definitely uh, appreciated. Um, and you know, the option to maybe like experiment more as you played with different, different missions and different, uh, you know, armor and weapons and stuff like that. But I played the beginner mission, basically had no idea what I was doing as I dropped in. Like you're in this, um, really like lush sort of like tropical island E looking atmosphere, um, a little bit like rainforest like, and you know, it's there's a lady that gives you a mission. She's like, oh, you need to go hunt this thing or whatever. I can't remember what it's called. But it's like this giant lizard that, like, drags its belly on the ground while it's, like, walking around. And so part of it is you tracking the lizard so you can find, like, footprints or, like, the scuff marks from it, like, dragging itself around. And then eventually whenever you track... Um, you know, you get enough tracks and you keep going down the footprint path, you'll encounter the lizard itself. And I had never played one of these games before, so I had no idea, like, what kind of combat to expect or what all went into it or really anything. So, but my experience was I got to the big lizard dude and I, like, chose, I mean, most of the weapons from the weapon menu seemed like they were pretty big, like, just, like, in size, and I think I chose whatever weapon did the most damage because that's just what I, I was like, why would I choose a, you know, a, a less, you know, damaging weapon? So I chose the weapon that did the most damage. And one thing that surprised me is that it takes like 600 years to do one sword swipe in this game. <laughs> so like the lizard, you know, was kind of, I mean, he's not like a fast lizard because like the one that you're hunting in this specific mission, he's like a big, you know, he's, he's kind of like a big fat lizard and he's kind of like, you know, uh, walking around and stuff. And so I like run up and, you know, I don't play a lot of like third person melee action games. And I know that Monster Hunter is not the same thing as like Ninja Gaiden, but like I'm more in tune with like the ladder where it's like really fast and really nimble and you've got to like be on top of your shit so you don't get your ass handed to you, you know, left and right. And so it was very strange for me to go to start playing this game and have it be like, all right, there's this giant lizard dude and I press square or whatever to like slash my sword. And by the time I finish slashing, the lizard isn't even there anymore. And like, so like my experience was I would like run after this lizard, maybe get a few hits on, uh, like on him. And then like one of the things, at least for me, is that the lizard like runs away, like way away. So then after you get enough hits on him, you have to like then chase the lizard like somewhere across the island and then do like some slow sword slashes again. 
and then he runs away again, and then you chase him across the island again, and then you do some slow sword slashes again, and then he dies, and then the game's like, all right, you beat the mission, and then, like, kicks you back out to the start menu, and I was like, nah, like, I didn't really like it i thought it felt really slow and i'm sure that you know i mean i'm sure you'll elaborate on this because you're the expert and i'm not but in my experience it felt really slow it felt really tedious the combat did not feel rewarding in any way i was just like pressing because there's like two attack buttons for like melee and it just took so long for the attack to swing and connect that i was like this is not fun for me and i didn't like having to chase to chase the the lizard you know across the island again and then across the island again it just didn't feel very fulfilling to me gotcha did you but you did end up killing him though right yeah i killed him all right cool so this is really fascinating for me um interesting because you know of course my perspective is a lot different than yours and i totally like what you're saying makes absolute perfect sense to me like i totally (laughs) get where you're coming from 100 percent. i mean i think the big thing for people to know, and I got to say, um, Monster Hunter is a very hard game to demo because it's very deep, it's very complicated, there's a lot to it, but most people, when they come to it for the first time, and you're not alone in this, I hear this I hear this all the time. Um, people who come to this game, they think it's going to be a third person, kind of like a hack and slash, like an action game, kind of like, like, kind of like a Ninja Gaiden or something like that. That is, it is like the opposite of what this game is. But people don't get that because it looks like it. Like you don't, you're, you are deceived into thinking that it is something that it is not. And I think it's on the game to really prove to people what it is to explain itself a little more clearly. Hopefully they will do that. I do not feel they really achieved that in the beta. I felt like a lot of people who tried the beta for the first time came away very confused or were really like, I didn't, this didn't feel good to me. What's going on? So I feel like Capcom really has to step up their game and really like go above and beyond to explain, hey, we're not that kind of game, but we do something that's cool, but something that's different. And this is what we do. And this is how you access it. I'm hoping that the main version will take, I mean, I'm sure it must take a lot more time to walk you through the demos and the teaching and the instruction, because this is 100% not a game that you can just jump into and I think that you know what you're doing. Like, it looks like you know what you're doing, but you really, really don't. Um, so hopefully that will prove uh, prove to be true that the beta, that the, the beta did not uh, give as much tutorializing as the main game will hopefully do. Um, but the thing that I would say to you first is that it's a shame you only tried once because every single one of those weapons plays, like, 100% different from the rest. So, like, the one that you probably used was, I'm guessing, probably either the Greatsword or perhaps even the switch axe. Um, those are uh, can be really slow weapons. Uh, I like to use the great sword myself, which is the biggest weapon, the slowest weapon, uh, but it's also really tough. But you use it in a very particular way, and the beta 100% did not teach you how to do that. Uh, but if you had gone with something like uh, the dual, the twin daggers, which is very fast, very nimble, or something you know along the other lines, um, you would have had a very different experience. Like some people like to play fast and dodge around. Some people like to be very specific with their attacks. Some people like to kind of tank it a little bit. Some people like to get up in the monster's face. So every weapon has a very specific use, and they all feel very differently. They all control very differently. Just because you're good with one weapon does not mean you're going to be good with the rest. I mean, I'm very good at the the greatsword, and I'm also very good with the heavy bow gun, which is a really fucking heavy cannon, which immobilizes you, basically, and you're kind of, like, stuck in place a lot of the time. Uh, But it has a lot of uh, advantages to it as well. But because I'm good with those weapons... 1,000% 1,000% does not mean that I am worth a damn with any of the other weapons. Like, they're very, <laughs> very different. 
So I think a big part of Monster Hunter is just finding which weapon suits you, which one feels comfortable, and what kind of jives with how you like to play, and then you kind of practice up with that one. Um, and again, the beta did not teach this. They did not say that. Um, they kind of just like threw you in there and expected you to kind of poke around on your own, which, I mean, you know, some people like to do, but not everybody likes to do that. And I totally understand um, what you're saying. So once you kind of find a weapon that you feel good about, then it's all about learning the monster. Like, what does the monster do? What are, what are his attacks? And then very strategically kind of taking your attacks. It's not just get up in there and, and wail on them. But it's like, oh, I know the monster likes to, you know, jump and then bite. So I'm going to wait till he jumps. I'm going to dodge. He's going to miss his bite. And then I'm going to attack him from the back. Or this one likes to blow fire. When he's blowing fire, he doesn't move. And so I'm going to wait till he blows fire, dodge that. And then I'll hit him in the side of the head when he's otherwise occupied. So it's all about like learning the monster, learning how they move, where are your openings, taking those openings when possible. Uh, and also like uh, preparing. I mean, you saw the wealth of equipment in there. Um, you can make a suit of armor out of every monster in the game and each one will give you different benefits. So a lot of the game is like killing stuff, making new armor, making new weapons, tweaking your stats, kind of playing with things to give you like the biggest possible advantage. Uh, and then going after monsters once you're like super equipped. I mean, I always told my, uh, my oldest son who played a lot of Monster Hunter with me, you know, like 90% of the game is coming prepared for a fight. So... You don't just jump in and like start hacking and slashing. That's a real quick way to get killed. So, but it, the game doesn't really say that in the beta. Like they didn't really talk about that. I mean, I think they did okay in just giving you pointers and telling you kind of what to do, but they didn't really explain the philosophy of the game or they didn't really explain what they're expecting you or how they're expecting you to interact with it, which is a problem. And I hope that when the final one comes out that they will address those concerns because that has historically been Monster Hunter's biggest problem is that people don't understand how to play. The game doesn't do fuck all to like get you into it. And you can't really build a cult following. Well, I mean, I guess you can build a cult following, but you can't build a big following by expecting people to run to a wiki and have spreadsheets open and then, you know, going <laughs> online and trading tips with people and stuff like you got to make it a little more open than that. So that's really where I think this game needs to land. Um, uh, coming to it as a series veteran, um, very, very excited. I really like what I saw. I saw a lot of changes um, that were quality of life changes, stuff that the average person wouldn't recognize. But as someone who's put so much time into it, I, I noticed right off the bat, I mean, um, you have a lot of new equipment that's never been there before, like the grappling hook or um, you have these different suits that you can use to camouflage yourself or to glide, which were very cool. You've got a little uh, launcher thing that you can use to interact with things in the environment, like setting patches of grass on fire or uh, making like vines fall off of a tree to trap a monster. Uh, there were uh, other things like when you collect items, instead of having this long fucking drawn out animation, you just push the button, collect the item, that's it, move on. And the whole tracking system is brand new as well. I mean, something that used to always suck in Monster Hunter was like going from area to area looking for the monster and just like never finding him and like wasting so much time. Uh, you actually have, like you said, footprints and clues to track the monster. And you have these little um, bugs, which look like, I don't know, like uh, fireflies or something. Um, that actually lead the way for you, which I think is great. I think it's a great uh, concession towards people who want to get the action, don't want to spend half an hour walking around a place just blindly searching for a monster. So uh, I really liked what I saw. I I played the first two missions uh, with the wife. We finished those, no problem. Got to the third mission, which was actually a monster that I beat at PAX uh, when I was playing on the big screen. I'm really proud of myself then. Could not beat the fucker this time. I think he... Uh, <laughs> Had too much life, and you, they did not give you enough time. Um, 45 minutes is the standard mission time in Monster Hunter. 
Uh, they gave you 20, and in this particular case, that was not enough time. Not to say that every mission is 45 minutes, not at all. Um, that's like the, the worst worst possible scenario. Like Most times you can get in and out and do things 5, 10 minutes really quick. Um, so that was frustrating, and then uh, the beta ran out of time uh, before we got to the fourth monster, which I heard was even harder, and they gave you even less time. Uh, apparently the developers expected maybe like 10% of people to even finish that one, um, so I don't know why they skewed it so hard. You think you'd want to get people into the game by making them feel good about it, not by crushing them, but whatever. Um, I'm excited about the game very much. I have a copy pre-ordered if we do not get a review code. We do not have a review code at this time, which I'm a little bit concerned about because it comes out in like three days, and that's just not enough time to play this game. So uh, bummed we did not get an early review code. Hopefully we'll get one. If not, I'm just going to pay for it myself, and I'm going to jump in. The wife's going to jump in. Son's going to jump in. We would love to jump in with you if you want to play a little bit, if you want to get it from Gamefly or whatever. Um, I'll probably be playing this for quite a quite a while. Um, still going to be dipping into Warframe, but I'm probably going to put Warframe on mostly hold for a while while I focus on Monster Hunter because I can't play those two things at the same time. <laughs> Not enough hours in the day. So that was where I landed. Uh, I am curious, though. Do you think you're going to give it another shot? I mean, are you rent it maybe? Or what was your, what was your takeaway? Uh, I mean... Like, I, as much as I want to be optimistic, I really don't see myself playing this game in the future. Like, I like the idea that every weapon controls, like, makes the character control differently, because that's sort of what I suspected might be the case whenever I played it. But whenever I finished the beginner mission, I was so tired that I just turned it off um, because I wanted, I think I, like, literally turned it off and went to bed just because I was so tired. Um, but uh, I don't. I don't know, because, like, lately I've been playing video games a lot less than I used to, and now that I'm working as well, like, I have to really... I'm kind of getting to that point with, like, where you are, where I have to really, like, focus in on the experiences that I, like, really want to play, and I feel like I could lie to myself and be like, oh, yeah, sure, I'll rent Monster Hunter and try it, but I really don't think I'm going to. Not a problem, man, not a problem. This is definitely not for everybody, um... I appreciate, uh, I absolutely appreciate being very selective about your playtime. I mean, I, like you said, that is exactly where I live my life these days. It's not play everything. It's like play nothing but the one thing that I really, really want to play because that's all the time I have. So I don't fault you at all. I mean, if the demo didn't get you curious, um, probably a pretty good chance this is not for you. And that's fine. Totally fine. Um, we will definitely talk about this more because I'm probably going to get into it in a real big way. And it seems like a lot of people were very interested. I know Monster Hunter's been around for a while, been around for many years, actually. Uh, God, is it? I wonder if it's even been 20 years. 15? It's been <laughs> around for like 15 or probably 15 years, something like that. Um, and a lot of people have been curious about it, but have never found a way into the series. This is that way in. If you have never played Monster Hunter before, this is the perfect time to jump in. It's never been friendlier to play. It's never been more approachable. It's never been on a better system. So if you're a person who's been curious about Monster Hunter, like you've heard about it, but it just hasn't really seemed like your jam, or you didn't want to like play it on the Vita where you had to do the claw thing with your finger, or you didn't want to play it on 3DS where the hardware couldn't handle it, this is the place to get in. So you don't need to know anything beforehand. You don't need to be a pro to jump in. Um, I'm hoping the main game will walk you in fine, but I think it, with the systems that have been changed and improved, uh, the online infrastructure and the different quality of life improvements that I've seen so far, 
This seems like the place to get in. So I would recommend it to people who have been curious, monster curious, monster hunter curious, and want to get in, but I've never tried. Uh, and it seems like a lot of people are going to be jumping in. So I'm guessing there's going to be plenty of people to play with uh, online. So we will talk about this in the future uh, some more. And before we leave the subject, we actually did go to our listeners and our followers for their feedback and their thoughts on both of these betas. We got a pretty good response. We're going to go through these really quickly. And then we are going to wrap the show. Sound good, Corey? Sounds like a plan. All right, good. Why don't you... These are kind of like mixed. I kind of just wrote them down in the order we got them. So some are from uh, Monster Hunter, some are from Metal Gear. I was going to say Metal Monster, but that's not right. Uh, that's a whole different a whole different game. Or Monster Gear, that's also a good game. Uh, why, why don't you take the first uh, comment, Corey, and we'll just back and forth. All right, this is from David Roberts. Good old David Roberts, a.k.a. David Robots on Twitter. Uh, he says, God help me. I think I like Metal Gear Survive a lot. When Kojima left, a bunch of the Phantom Pain team stayed, including longtime Metal Gear Solid programmer and Metal Gear Rising producer Yuji Korakado. The multiplayer feels like an extension of single player rather than a dedicated mode. It looks like materials and loot you earn and co-op will funnel back into single player as well. That's true. I forgot to mention that just really quickly. Um, I noticed that when we were doing the beta, the stuff that I used up in my first session of the beta was still gone when I came back for the second session, which kind of surprised me a little bit. So it does seem like you're going to have like a dedicated like accumulation of stuff over time or the stuff that you expend will still be expended when you come back to it. So that might add another layer for people who are interested in, um, you know, kind of building up a character over time. Uh, next one comes from Petrified Wing on Twitter. Played the Monster Hunter beta for about five hours. Really loved it. One thing that bothered me, though, is that locking onto big monsters hurts more than it helps. As far as I've seen, you're only able to lock onto either head or torso. But if you want to target the limbs or the tail, locking onto the torso turns your character in an angle that prevents you from targeting those body parts. Also, cycling through targets felt weird. Uh, yes, I can just say really quickly, I don't. I almost never lock onto monsters in that game. I haven't explored it in the beta, but historically that was something that you just never did. You just learned how the monster moved and you just kind of dealt with it uh, by moving the camera and moving yourself around. I Maybe they fixed it in, in the full version, but I wouldn't really recommend lock on as something that people get used to. So Corey, next one. This is from Don Blake, who is Mr. Don Blake on Twitter. Uh, it says, Having not really been able to get into Monster Hunter before, I enjoyed it and convinced a few friends to pick it up. I think the fact that it's on a system that has party chat and serviceable online features will help big time. True, true, true. Next one comes from Decrepit Gaming, who is Cliff Goldsmith. Great guy, Cliff Goldsmith. One of my favorite people on Twitter. Love Cliff. <laughs> uh, says, Metal Gear Survive is just horde-based wave trash. <laughs> and as a fan of Metal Gear, I feel this game is an insult to what the game is about. Plus, I hate wave-based games, so I'm extra biased. And Cliff clearly has no strong opinions on this one. Now, Cliff, please write back in. Tell us how you really feel, sir. Yeah, I'm going to need some clarification on those comments, please. Yeah. What What did you really mean, man? I don't get it. What's your point? All right. Go for it, dude. All right. Next up is Mickey, who is L. Mickeyo on Twitter, which is pretty funny. Uh, briefly played Monster Hunter. Really enjoyed what I played. Got my brother into it also. Good to see it. Uh, come on so much. Open maps are excellent. Looking forward to having it this weekend. 
Excellent, excellent. Uh, next one comes from good old Coffee Jesus, uh, one of my favorite people and the guy who got me into Warframe, that bastard. You've yeah. ruined my life. <laughs> <laughs> love CJ. He's a great guy. Um, he says, loved Monster Hunter 3 Ultimate and put 350 hours into the Wii U version. Didn't click with the verticality of Monster Hunter 4 or that it was on a handheld. Hence, I am delighted to have the game back on the big telly and taking such a huge leap in ambition having my friend Patty, who is the other half of their podcast, try out the beta and a series he definitely thought wasn't for him, and then seeing him joyously race into action, exploring, losing himself in the sheer wonderment of the world, and the joy of twatting things with hammers was a delight. <laughs> <laughs> twatting things with hammers. I love that, and it definitely means something different in America. Um, <laughs> the details of which can be found on the Oh, the Humanities podcast under their new title, Oh, the huge monster teeth, which is kind of a play on their title. Shameless plug for their podcast. They are double excited for the 26th. Thank you, CJ. Love to hear from you, sir. Uh, Corey, next one. Next up is Blue-Eyed Joe, who says, a moner, uh, moner, moner, Monster Hunter world feels amazing. Metal Gear Solid Survive, or Metal Gear Survive, I should just say, um, feels like Konami's answer to PUBG with the Metal Gear Solid Five gameplay and engine. What do you, okay, I, had, I hadn't put those two together, but what do you think about that now that he said that, Brad? Um, I don't know that I necessarily agree with that, because uh, although I haven't played PUBG proper, I have played the Fortnite version, and that didn't feel at all like what we were playing here. I mean, I think that probably Cliff, uh, Cliff Goldsmith's comments are more accurate in that it's a wave-based kind of defense thing and i think that PUBG is more like all you know out for your own self every man for himself kind of a more cutthroat sort of thing so i don't know that i don't know that that uh blue eye joe is on the right track with this one but then again there could be more modes like i don't know maybe there's a competitive mode that we haven't seen i mean that wasn't shown in the beta so that could be correct he could be he could be speaking about a mode that we didn't see so i'll have to do some more research on that um next comment comes from hops and heroes good old hops and heroes says, excited for the Monster Hunter console experience. Love the demo. The variety of weapons and cat cosplay should keep my wife and me entertained. Got it pre-ordered. We should mention, um, you have a cat buddy that goes with you on Monster Hunter missions. It's a little, They're called um, Palicos. And they go with you. They help you hunt. They have lots of different abilities they have. And you get to dress them any way that you like. So, like, if you carve off a piece of monster, you make armor for yourself. You got a couple odds and ends left over. You slap it into a piece of armor that is kitty-sized, and you dress him up, too. It's so adorable. That's true. I enjoyed that part of the demo because when you're customizing your character, you can pick, like, how you want your cat to be colored. And so I picked, like, the white and black and orange version, and I thought my cat was very cute. Well, you put a little top hat and tails on him, or you stick him in a big, like, diving suit, or a... Uh... <laughs> There's like a Mega Man suit of armor. There's all sorts of armor for the cats. There is You can do tons of cosplay with a cat. It's really fun stuff. What's the next one, Corey? All right. This one is like eight paragraphs of comments. So strap in, everybody. This is from Eric Monch. I'm not sure if that's how you say his last name. Um, the Monch Dynasty on Twitter. It says... I've been playing Monster Hunter World since the first beta, because there was a beta that came out a few months ago, and then this is the new one. Um, I've been a Monster Hunter fan since Monster Hunter 3... Did you say Ultimate? Ultimate. Ultimate. Yeah. Um, the Monster Hunter World beta is spectacular. It looks gorgeous, and all the weapons have been greatly enhanced. Uh, I'm considering maining the Gunlance, a weapon I hated in previous Monster Hunters. Multiplayer in the beta has been awkward because I haven't been able 
to invite friends, list people on hunts, but people who have played the preview builds say that it will be uh, addressed in the final version. Uh, response among beta players has been very positive. I played with a lot of Monster Hunter noobs who have never played a Monster Hunter game before, and they're really stoked about the game. If this game is ever going to catch fire in the West, this is the game that will do it. Uh, Monster Hunter World feels like a big reaction against the current loot box fever among developers. I imagine that people who are tired of the Skinner Box mentality that has captivated many major developers will be excited to play this game. I've been trying to get my friends who love Diablo but hate Dark Souls to play it. I'm hoping that the lower difficulty will bring people in. I assume that these changes will carry over to the final. Sounds good. Sounds good. Next comment comes from. Thank you very much, uh, Eric, for those uh, for those comments. Very uh, a lot of stuff to say there. Um, <laughs> next comment comes from uh, Jeremy, my good man, J Monster in the UK, one of my uh, hardcore Monster Hunter buddies. He and I have gone on many quests. He's the man. Well, he makes me look like a Monster Hunter newbie. Let's put it that way. So he knows <laughs> he knows Monster Hunter like a motherfucker. Uh, he says, generally liked the three betas apart from the hitboxes on some of the moves by Nerd Gigante, which is the, the final hardest monster that was in the, the most recent uh, beta. Uh, some of the moves by Nerd Gigante in the most recent were some of the bro- most broken of any monster since Monster Hunter Freedom Ultimate, or Freedom Unite, excuse me. Uh, hoping it's fixed in the full game. Uh, yes, I'm sure that they will fix the hitboxes. I heard some people complaining about weirdness in the beta, some weird things happening, the monster getting stuck on some stuff. And then, like, insta-killing people or just weird places like you think you hit the monster, but you didn't, but the monster hits you. So I'm sure they're going to polish that up. I'm, sh- I'm not too worried about it. Capcom has always been on top of that uh, historically. So uh, not too concerned. Next one, Corey. Uh, this one's from Augie, who is Punk Pseudo on Twitter. It says, it was a great – this is about Monster Hunter, by the way. It was a great experience, but the friend I played it with had never played a Monster Hunter title and came away incredibly frustrated with all of the game's idiosyncrasies. Did I say that right? Idiosy- idiosyncrasies? No, you had it. Yeah. <laughs> You're messing um, it up now, but you got it right the first oh time. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, basically, she had an issue with how deliberate the combat is and experienced some camera control issues uh, when things got hectic, which I didn't have an issue with. But then again, uh, he's been playing Monster Hunter since 2006 and is satisfied with no longer needing to use the Monster Hunter camera claw, which you referred to earlier. Oh, the claw, the claw. We, t- we talked about the claw before, haven't we? Uh, I don't know if we talked about it on the show, but I have heard you talk about it before. Yeah, for those that don't know, basically when Monster Hunter was on the PSP, uh, and I spent like hundreds of hours on it, uh, so the PSP had a little nub, like an analog nub, and there was also a D-pad. And so what Capcom decided to end up doing was because there was not a second stick on the right side, if you will recall, there was only stuff on the left side of the unit. You had to move your... Wait, was it... Is move your... Whatever it was. One, your thumb was on the, the nub, I think, and then your finger had to form... Like, if you look at your left hand... If you have your thumb on the bottom and you curve your index finger up and make like kind of like a C shape with it, like the outline of the letter C, your thumb would be controlling like your character and your finger would be curled around and hitting like the D-pad to like move the camera. So you were moving your character and moving the camera with one finger each on the same hand. And boy, let me tell you, that was not really comfortable, nor was it ergonomic. And it's crazy that I did that for like 400 hours. But like when you really like a game, that's what you do. (laughs) <laughs> so I'm really glad that no one has to do the camera claw anymore. That was that was not fun. 
Uh, Corey, you want to take the next one? Yeah, this is the last one. And to bring us out with the bang is good friend of the show, Carlos Rodella, who is Onawa on Twitter. He said, I was surprised how Metal Gear-ish Metal Gear Survive was. Some of the core mechanics felt the same, but also there were zombies with crystals in their heads. Uh, oh, and there's no need to be stealthy, so that's different. Very true. I don't know how that's going to play out in the main main game, but yeah, it was pretty much just balls-out combat in the beta, so uh, we'll see. Um, so that is all the comments we have, and that will bring us to the end of the show, and what a show it was. Um, remember, folks, stick around after the ending music to hear tonight's banter, and it is a doozy. You do not want to miss it if you <laughs> like the banter. Tonight is some real banter. Uh, otherwise, feel free to bail now, and we will catch you next week. In the meantime, please remember that you, dear listeners, can send us your comments, thoughts, feedback, ideas, anything else you'd like to. Send them to us, sovideogamespodcast at gmail.com. You can also post comments for us at Game Critics after the show goes up, and I actually forgot to post it last week. My apologies. My bad. I will get those posted tonight uh, as long as I get time, and then you can post comments there. Uh, we are also on Twitter collectively as a show, at so Video Games. And you can reach us individually. I am B-R-A-D-G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y. Corey, where are you on Twitter? Uh, my Twitter handle is also my first and last name. It is Corey Motley, C-O-R-E-Y-M-O-T-L-E-Y. Excellent, excellent. And that is going to bring us to the end of another So Video Games. We will be back next week with another installment. But in the meantime, this is Bye from Brad. And Bye from Corey. We will see you guys next week. Sorry, I just uh, having a crazy morning. I was supposed to kind of just have, have a leisurely morning, and then it turned out to be, oh, wait a minute, I got a dozen chores to do before I get to the recording, and oh, wait a minute, I didn't do the script last night like I was going to, and then, oh, wait a minute, the wife's not back from a meeting, oh, wait a minute, oh, wait a minute. So instead of the hang around in my PJs and kind of kick it until recording, it was like run, 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 and uh, get here breathlessly. So uh, how, how are you doing? <laughs> Uh, I'm pretty good. I, um, I, I don't know. I'm still adjusting to the new, like, work thing. Um, you know, I mean, I'm... Yeah, you're going to bed so early, dude. What the fuck? Well, I'm, it's actually, I'm not going to bed as early as I should be, which is extremely problematic, because whenever I used to work at Target, and I've talked about this on the show a million times, like, I used to work at 3.30 in the morning, so I woke up at about... 2.45, 3-ish, because I, I work was really close, so I basically just got up, threw my work clothes on, and left, and I, I didn't, I'm not one of those people that gets up and, like, makes coffee and eats breakfast and reads the paper and, like, all that bullshit, so I just, like, get up, throw my clothes on, leave, and I used to do a thing when I worked at Target because I worked so early that I would only sleep for, like, three hours, and then I would go to work, and then I would come home and take a nap for, like, three or four hours, so I would kind of, like, divide up my night of sleep which has probably given me permanent brain damage that just like hasn't set in yet because i did that for like probably like three years and i find myself doing the same thing at work now and i told myself i wouldn't do this and i need to like really get my shit in order because i i don't have to be at work until 8 30 like 8 30 is like 
the you know start time, if you will. But I like to get to work a little bit early, mostly because um, the university that I work on, there's not a ton of parking, and there's only one parking garage on campus, and it's kind of far from the building I work in. So I try to get there's like parking close to the building I work in, but if you get there after eight, you're basically fucked. So. I've been getting up at about 6.30-ish and leaving at about 7.30, maybe 7.45, getting to work, like, right around 8, and then I just, like, maybe, like, grab some coffee and just kind of chill out in my office for a little while before I actually start working, and I've been going to bed at, like, 2 o'clock in the morning or, like, 3 o'clock in the morning and then getting up at, like, 6 o'clock in the morning or, like, 6.30 or so, 6.45, and... I need to stop doing that because I get, even though I'm only working half days, like I only work about um, like four hours a day, I get home and I'm like fucking exhausted because I slept for like three hours and then I got up and went to work and then I hit that crash whenever I get home and all I want to do is take a nap. But if I take a nap, I won't be able to go to bed at a reasonable hour in the evening. So it's just, it's stupid. And I can't believe I'm having this problem. Like it was a problem that I saw having whenever I worked at 3.30 in the morning. But now I work at 8.30, which is like a totally normal human time to work, and I'm staying up even later, and I need to stop doing that. Yeah, man, I hear ya. That was a problem that uh, dogged me for many, many years. In fact, it is still kind of a kind of an <laughs> issue. Um, a couple things, though. Number one, you gotta send me a picture of you chilling, drinking coffee in your office. I wanna see Office Corey in the office. Like, Big bad businessman, Corey. Yeah. Like, you know, like, got to give some dude some orders and uh, do some deals. I want to see you. Take a picture of that and send it to me. I want to see your office. Yeah, you have to wait um, until I decorate it because my office is really, like, bland. And every time I go in someone else's office at work, I, like, peek around and, like, look at their decorations because I need to make some prints and put them up in my office. And I have, like, a bunch of Gundam model kits that I put together in the spare bedroom at my house. And I want to take a bunch of those in and like put them on the bookshelf and like put them on my desk. So after I get some decorations and some prints up, I will have someone take a picture of me and then I will send it to you. That is so funny because I know that you've talked about your Gundam models before, but it's like I, in my head, like when I think of you, like Gundam is not one of the things that like correlates to like my, my <laughs> mental profile of Corey. <laughs> Um, do you just like doing just the models? Like, is it just pleasing to you or do you, I mean, I don't remember you being much of a, like a robot fan or did you like actually watch a lot of the shows or what's the connection there? Well, the connection is whenever I was younger or whenever I was maybe like 12 ish, um, and like Gundam wing was on, uh, like, you know, like Toonami or like Cartoon Network. And it was, you know, like Gundam Wing was on and like Dragon Ball Z. And that was like sort of like the phase where everybody got into anime like all at the same time because everybody like got home from middle school and they watched Dragon Ball Z. And then like uh, Gundam Wing started coming on and I started watching that. And to be honest, I never really got that into the show. I just like liked the idea of it at the time. And I ended up, I don't even remember how I found this out. I think I was in like a used video game store whenever I was like 12 with my dad. And I think I just saw that they had the model kits at the time. And I, it was like nothing I had ever done before because I had never done like model race cars or anything like that. So it was completely new territory. But for some reason, I just wanted one. And, you know, my dad bought me one. And so I used to put them together whenever I was um, probably like, 12 to 13 in there um and i had probably like 10 of them and i would just like every time we would go to the video game store i can't even remember what store it was um i i would like look for new ones and buy one and put it together and i just thought they were really fun and then about four years ago ish 
Um, I found out that out of all the places, fucking Barnes & Noble sells Gundam model kits. So I think like I saw someone tweet about it and I was shocked because I hadn't even thought about them in so long because there was a point when I was like 16 or 17 where I just threw like I clean like we cleaned the house, I cleaned my room and I just threw them all away because they were just taking up space in the house and like on my bookshelf and around my TV and I never really did anything with them and I kind of outgrew them. But now, like, I'm getting back into, well, I shouldn't say getting back in, because I probably put one together maybe every, like, three or four months. Like, I'll either buy one on Amazon, or I'll just, like, go to Barnes & Noble and pick one up and bring it home. And I don't know, it's just, like, a really therapeutic thing for me. Like, I'm not really into the anime, but, like, if Patrick's out of town, or if I have, like, a night at home to myself, I love just, like, sitting down and, like, putting a movie in and, like, opening a beer and just putting a Gundam model together <clears throat> while I, like, watch one or two movies in a row. And it's just really uh, it's really therapeutic and rewarding. And then you get a cool Gundam out of it that you can look at. So it's, like, a win-win. Oh, that's so funny. I never uh, – I guess I never really knew about that that side of you. You're such a multifaceted dude, Oh, jeez. <laughs> you, like, take pictures of sweaty dudes. You're, like, a big, bad businessman. You do Gundam models while you're drinking beer. You got all sorts of stuff to you, man. You're an interesting guy. <laughs> That is very interesting <laughs> stuff. I I, uh, I never really got into the Gundam thing. Um, I I mean I I got into anime when it first came to America, like in the early '90s, and I watched a bunch of stuff back then, and I read some manga and everything. And you know, I mean, I think it kind of came in waves, basically. And I remember being like on the first wave of it because I'm just that old, and that <laughs> was really cool. But I kind of fell away. And I I gotta say, Gundam was never really my thing. I mean, some of the robots are are not too bad, but, like, I never really clicked, like, aesthetically with the Gundams. Like, they always, um, something about them just didn't really speak to me, like, in a design sense. So, I mean, they're kind of cool, and my brother actually got really into Gundams. He had, like, a bajillion of them, and he did a lot of models and stuff, too. He watched the show and everything, but, uh, yeah, I never really clicked with me too much, although I do love robots, and I do love models, and I do love all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, it's still cool, even though not my thing, but still very cool. So, right on, right on. What else has been going on on your, uh, end of things, man? Oh, man. Um, I don't know. I've just been getting adjusted to work, and I shot um, a weightlifting competition last weekend, which was my first, like, real, like, paid photography shoot I've ever done, which on one hand is, like, cool, because I can be like, oh, man, I got paid for a shoot. But on the other hand, like, I like my pictures from it, I think, are, like, fine, but there's nothing in them that I would be like, wow, I need to add this to my portfolio. It's just very, like standard like people lifting weights and you know like almost every picture is just like a person with like a barbell with their arms extended like straight above their head because they were doing um different uh, uh weightlifting moves which have very funny names by the way i don't know how much you know about weightlifting but from uh uh, a couple that I know that I'm really good friends uh, with who I was the best man for for their wedding, um, the the wife in that couple is uh, like a CrossFit weightlifter and she does like competitions and stuff. And so like I kind of picked up some things from her and I had photographed a competition that she had done before. And I photographed this one last weekend and a couple of the lifts, the names for the lifts, like one of them is called a snatch, which I mean is just funny whenever you hear like, a com like the commentator or like the announcer being like oh that was a really clean snatch and you know it's like a, a sexy lady weightlifter like you know doing some clean snatches in front of the audience and then another weightlifting term is called a clean and jerk and yeah. <laughs> it's like 
every time he would say it, because the guy who was like uh, like announcing it there, I just like I it was like the inner twelve year old in me like came out and I just couldn't help but like crack up a little bit because he's like, oh like you know so and so's clean and jerk is looking tight or you know a good a good clean and a fast jerk and i was like oh my fucking god like, <laughs> it's just so and like i don't know if they i mean i'm sure they don't say it you know to like sound dirty or sound ridiculous cuz it's like the actual name of like the exercise or the lift but it just sounds so ridiculous when you hear you know the announcer being like oh clean and jerk like that's a a good swift jerk after that clean and oh my god it's just so stupid but <laughs> Um, that's, that's hilarious. I actually don't know much about weightlifting because, I mean, you've seen me. I know nothing about weightlifting. You know what I look like. <laughs> uh, but I, it's funny because I did actually know that they did have funny names, not because of I've spent time in the gym or anything, but because I've watched uh, the Rocky Horror Picture Show like probably like 75 times. And Dr. Frankenfurter in that he talks about the snatch and the clean and the jerk. So I thought it was interesting that you picked those ones because I'm like, oh, yeah, those are the ones that I actually know. I don't know any <laughs> ones, but I know. But I know these ones, so. Yeah. Have you seen, you, you must have seen the Rocky Horror Picture Show. I you? have never seen it. Oh, my God, what? Know, You've never seen it? Not even one time? Not even one oh, time. Oh, dude. You have to watch it at least once because I guarantee it's not what you think it is. It's not what you expect. I, you know, I'd seen it. I'd heard about it. Um, when I was growing up, I lived in this shitty small town, and everybody that was in that town was either, like, your mainstream, boring, like, racist white folk, or you were, like super trying hard to be emo and show that you were a different kind of person kind of kid. <laughs> I was the the fat, ugly kid who had no friends. So I was like even like a third group outside of that. But um, we had, which is totally bizarre, but our theater would often show the Rocky Horror Picture Show, like midnight showings on Fridays. And I was puzzled by this because I was like, who's going to that? And I heard about it and I didn't know what it was. And growing up where I grew up, I'm like, well, I don't, I mean, it's some kind of weird, I don't know, like, I don't even know what it is. It's like, it's about sex or it's like some kind of quasi porno or I don't even like people say they go to it and they sing, but I don't understand what it's about and who knows. And then I would see it like in the video store. And I mean, uh, back in the day when you would go into a video, I mean, that sounds so archaic these <laughs> days. I, I went to a video store in meat space and I looked at boxes, uh, but that was things that we did back then. And I remembered seeing the cover and it was like Tim Curry's like lipsticky mouth. And, um, you know, he's like wearing like lingerie in the bag and it just looked like so weird and bizarre that something like that would be going on in our, our really, really boring white ass town. But um, I eventually rented it because I'm like, I just I just want to see like, it was like when I turned 16 and I could like start renting movies on my own. I didn't need my mom and dad to come with me, you know, so I'm like, fuck you guys. I'm going to rent whatever <laughs> I want to rent. So uh, me and my brother rented it one time and it just fucking like completely blew our minds. It was 100 percent not what we thought it was going to be, not what we expected. After we watched it the first time, we just look at each other like, oh, my God, what did we just watch? Okay, let's watch it again. And then we just, like, watched it again. And uh, the music's awesome. I mean, the movie is really funny. Uh, I, I mean, like I said, I've seen it probably, like, 75 times. Um, I just really, really enjoy it. So I, you should you should rent it and watch it, and let's talk about it afterwards because it's not at all what you think it is. And I love Tim Curry so much. I am, like, huge, huge Tim Curry fan, uh, and that's one of his greatest roles. I mean, do you, are you a Tim Curry fan by any chance? I mean, I like, I guess, like, respect him for what he is, but I don't, like, seek out works that he's done and watch them. Oh, God. He just, I love him so much. He's so weird. And his um, accent, which is, like, from nowhere, like, I don't even know if it's even a real accent or what, but I just find him so charming and so appealing and whatever. Like, anything he does, I can just watch it, and I'm just, like, super entertained. I just really, I really dig him a lot, so... 
anyway, um, yes, Rocky Horror Picture Show, watch it <laughs> and report back. Um, where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? What's what else? Nothing. You got anything else? Or you good? Um, I can. I, I'm. I'm suspect that you just because I know you and you're probably gonna like turn the tide on me this time. That you oh, might. Oh shit. You might have some TV shows you want to talk about. I do have some TV shows to talk about, but I do have this other thing that I kind of wanted to get off my chest a little bit. Oh boy. Um, which is not. I don't even know what to even say. Man, I, I don't mean to bring the show down, but this is kind of a downer a little oh, bit. Geez. So. I know, I know. Sorry, I gotta bring harsh reality into this. It's a good I, uh, thing the actually, banter is at the end now. I know, right? Everybody's be like, "Oh God, too depressing." <laughs> um, so, a friend of mine uh, recently died. They died a, like two weeks ago, and I'd known that person for probably like at least ten years, if not longer. Um, and it was kind of unexpected. I mean, they had been kind of in some poor health, but I, I did not anywhere near think they were like gonna die. Like I, you know, yeah, you're in the hospital. Yeah, you don't look so great, but you're gonna pull out of it. Everybody does. That's just how life goes. And I'll be back, and I'll see you later. And oh, you're dead. So that happened. Um, and I think I was probably one of the last people to see them uh, because they weren't getting a lot of visitors. So I suspect that I probably was the last person to see uh, that person before that. I mean, not counting the nurses and stuff, but you know, like like friend wise. Um, and she was kind of older. She was like late fifties and her parents actually are still alive, which I thought was pretty amazing. And they're probably like in their late seventies, early eighties, but still in really good health. And I was friendly with them as well. So, um, they said they were going to have a memorial service and I'm like, Oh, okay, well for sure I'll show up at that. And it happened to be the day that I was going to be, um, taking care of my son because he, my mom, uh, my wife was out doing something. She had a business meeting or something. And so I was going to take him that we're going to hang but then you know of course you don't expect that this is going to pop up so i'm like well okay that's fine we'll we'll do something fun in the afternoon but let's go to this memorial service and it was my son's first ever um memorial service so he didn't know what to expect so we talked about that a little bit and uh we dressed up real nice or as nice as we could and then we went down there and the thing that i it's not even like you even have to respond to this or you maybe you have no feedback or you know whatever i don't know maybe somebody listening has feedback i don't know but it just it struck me because the service that they had was not at all what i would have expected that my friend would have wanted um i don't know that she probably discussed what she wanted beforehand probably didn't i think a lot of people don't like to talk about that i know most people don't make any preparations before they go and they kind of leave it up to their families or it, it kind of falls to their family uh, when they're gone, which, you know, we actually went through this with um, Gina's grandma recently. That was a fucking mess. So to anybody listening, please make your preparations before you die, because it just makes it so much easier on your family when you're gone. Um, but we're sitting there and my friend who died, you know, she prayed. I mean, she was like a religious person, but she wasn't like super religious. Like she didn't go to church all the time and she wasn't like a Jesus freak or anything like that. But I mean, I'm, I guess I didn't realize, but her parents are really religious and so when we went there to this memorial service, I mean, it was like super heavily like Christian and I mean, nothing, you know, nothing against that, but like, it just didn't seem to really match who my friend was. And I, I actually had prepared like a story, a couple stories that I was going to tell in case they had people get up and tell stories, but there was like no stories. Like they didn't call anybody up to speak. And I'm like, well, that's really weird because I'm sure that my friend would have wanted somebody to say something, you know, in her memory. And a lot of the people that she knew, she didn't know many, but there weren't many there. And the people who were there were people that were friends with her mom and dad, who I guess were kind of like elders in their church or something. I don't know. I mean, I don't know their, their ins and outs, really. 
So, like, there was a ton of people there, more than I thought, but, like, they were all just, like, people that I'm pretty sure my friend really didn't know or maybe, like, met them, like, once in passing and was not really friends with them. And so there's, like, all these people there that were showing up because of who her parents were and not, like, for her. And so I sat there throughout this ceremony and I just felt, like, so... Like, this is not correct. Like, I know that she's gone and she can't say anything. And of course, it's, you know, whoever's left gets to decide that. But it just didn't feel like it matched her. And it just didn't feel like it was appropriate for who she was as a person and her life. And as I'm sitting there, I mean, I knew one or two of her other friends that were there. And I looked at them and I'm like, this this is weird, man. This I don't think this is, would have, you know, this doesn't feel right. So... I mean, nothing really to say. I mean, nothing really. I mean, you know, I, I guess I don't need like an answer if you don't want. I mean, if you got a comment, sure, I'd love to hear it. But <laughs> I just I just sat there the whole time just feeling really weird about this ceremony happening, which I just felt like really would not have been something that my friend would have appreciated or wanted or not what she would have envisioned if we had had the chance to discuss it. So I felt just really kind of mixed up about that afterwards. And I felt kind of bad. I mean, of course, she's gone, so it doesn't really matter anyway, but just... I don't know. I just kind of felt like we should have done better for her, you know? What do you think would have happened if she would have passed away after, like, if both of her parents had passed away first, and then if she had after? That would have been, I think, a much different thing. I think we wouldn't have had any of the church people. I bet it would have been a very, very small, probably like a little graveside thing. Just, I mean, I think it would have been just the people who actually knew her showing up. I mean... I mean, I, I, I'm guessing her close circle of friends is probably like maybe five or six people. And at that ceremony that we went to, there was probably like a hundred. And I know for a fact she didn't know that many people. She was not friends with all those people. So I think it would have been way smaller. I'm guessing we probably would have talked more stories about, you know, how we knew her and what, you know, what our experience had been with her and, you know, anecdotes and stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing it would have been radically different. You know, I think it would have been. It's kind of strange in the sense that like... Um, I mean, I guess it's pretty, un- well, I mean, I would hope that it would be pretty unusual for like your children to pass away before, you know, the parents do. Um, but it's, it kind of makes me think about like how whenever kids are born to like, basically whenever a child is born, they have really like pretty much no agency over their life from like when the parent is pregnant up until, I don't know, maybe the kid's like four or five, you know, like the, the parents make all the decisions for them. And, you know, like if the parents really like this sports team, they buy all these sports team clothes and, you know, put the baby in the onesies for like, you know, whatever team or whatever, or, you know, put like silly shirts on them and stuff. And it doesn't really represent what, what that person might grow to be. And, um, I feel like I have a point I'm trying to make here, but it's just not really coming together. Um, but it's just weird for me to think that like, that same thing can happen after someone dies and like, you know, whatever happens after or the way that uh, people's family or friends or parents choose to kind of like send them off into a service like that can be basically the exact same thing that happens whenever someone is born and they like don't really have any agency. No, I totally get your point. And I think that's actually a very good point because I think part of being a good parent Um, probably one of the best things that you can do as a parent or even just as a friend, honestly, is, um, you, you know, this child comes into the world or you meet somebody, you just have to like accept them for who they are. And even if that's not exactly who you are, you know, you don't have to be the same person. Like, you know, my kids don't like all the same things that I like, but as a parent, I try to respect what they like and let them do what they want to do. 
and you know you t- you you value them for what they bring, and you enjoy that and you cherish it. Um, you don't try to impose your own values on them. And that, I mean, I, yeah, I, I think I get your point because that's kind of how I felt this happened. Now that you say that, it's kind of crystallizing for me because it did kind of feel like the mom and dad were putting their own like heavily Christian, um, you know, values on this uh, and, and not really honoring her for like who she was um, in life. This actually reminds me a lot of um, one of the clients I used to have. One of the, fr- the first client that I ever had that died um, and I've had several that have died. Uh, he was a very flamboyantly gay man. Um, wonderful guy. He was so funny and so full of life. I mean, he was a hoot and I really enjoyed working with him. Uh, but he caught, um, HIV before a lot of the really good medicines were out. And so he could not, uh, he did not survive. So I kind of worked with him, uh, in his declining years and he loved like dressing up like really fancy he loved like Barbie dolls and modeling and he loved like, to, you know, kind of being pretty. And that was just kind of who he was. And I, I loved him for that. He was just a, a great guy. Anybody that knew him, it, like you could not forget this guy. Like he would just like be burned in your memory because he was such a fun, energetic, like he just loved life so much. Right. And so when um, he finally passed away, his family was from a very far away place and they did not really support uh, him being a gay, gay man. And they were not really in, uh, you know, I mean, it's like, you know, they said they loved him, but like, I don't think they really accepted who he was. And so when he passed away and uh, that service happened, there was like none of the things there that he liked, like none of the the Barbie dolls or the flowers that he liked or, you know, anything that really reflected his style. Like it was very somber and like, you know, I mean, I mean, this kind of sounds weird to say, but if you had walked in off the street, you would, I mean, I guess I don't know what a gay funeral is. I mean, I'm not trying to like stereotype anybody, but like you, you would not get a feeling for like who he was at life. Like, I mean, it seemed like to me, he would have wanted something flashier, something bigger, something louder, something, you know, something that really showed who he was. And that was 1000% not what he got um, after he died. I mean, I think the parents um, kind of getting back to your point, like reimpose their values. I mean, it seemed pretty clear to me they kind of wish that he was straight and maybe were not too approving of his gay lifestyle and didn't really like how flamboyant he was. And so, you know, he was wearing the most boring fucking suit and tie when he died. I've never seen him in a suit and tie in his life. He, I don't think he ever wore one. So like, why would you dress him up like that when he was dead? You know, like, yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of the same thing. I mean, I think you have to accept people for who they are, even if that's not who you are, um, because that's really um, the most mature, most loving thing you can do for somebody. So, yeah, I'm glad you said that because that kind of turned things around my head and that really makes sense. Um, so, yes, that's 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 my uh, that's one thing I did. Uh, sorry to sorry to, <laughs> to steer the show. No, in such a okay. dark. That was such okay. a dark. Uh, I thought I honestly thought you were <clears throat> as sometimes you tend to do is say. Oh, ho, ho. well, this is not a political podcast, but I'm going to talk shit about politics for 20 minutes. I totally thought you were about to pull one of those and talk about, like, oh. the state of America and how, like, sad you are. So talking about people oh. dying is oddly not as sad as talking about the decline <laughs> of America. Oh, God. Boy, that's a sad statement, isn't it? Let's talk about death and dying. Way happier than talking about American politics. And you know what? You're right. You are correct. Uh, let's switch gears though. Thank you for, um, ba- letting me bounce that off you. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, of course. Um, we do have some questions from good man, Jeroen. We're going to get to those at the end of this banter before we get to the show. But before that, I did want to throw a shout out really quick. I've got so many topics, so many random topics to talk about. I'm going to just pick a couple. I just watched, I'll pick two. I'll pick, uh, <laughs> I just watched the very first episode of the Orville. Have you seen this? 
This is the dumb Star <clears throat> Trek farce thing, right? Um, you know, you would think it is, so I'm guessing you haven't seen it. I've not seen it, but I know, I mean, I thought I know what it was until you are maybe going to turn things on me. <laughs> I I was exactly like you. I'm like, oh, this is the new wannabe Star Trek show from the guy that did Family Guy, uh, Seth MacFarlane. I'm sure it's going to be a bunch of dick and fart jokes, and it's going to be like a total parody in space. Absolutely not. It is a very uh, loving homage to Star Trek. It's actually very respectful, and I think that this is... Um, it is just like a genuine, like, for real Star Trek show. I mean, there's a couple jokes, of course, but nothing, like, super um, out of hand and nothing, like, really crazy. I mean, I've only seen the first episode. It, I'm sure it gets crazier later. Who knows? But I was actually really surprised. Um, it is a very straightforward take on Star Trek. In fact, I mean, it feels like it very easily could be a Star Trek show. The suits uh, look the same. The ships are kind of in line. Um, the whole aesthetic of the future you know, humanity finding peace and everybody having, you know, high tech stuff and all that. It just, it looks very much like Star Trek. I mean, uh, I don't know much about Seth MacFarlane, but I'm guessing that he's probably uh, a really big Star Trek fan because why else would you make a show like this? <laughs> um, it was actually really good. We really enjoyed it. Uh, we laughed at the jokes and there definitely were some jokes. I mean, nothing crazy, but there were some jokes. Uh, but overall, it was just like a straight up regular Star Trek sci-fi show. And it was actually much better than I thought it was. Um, there were a few good moments and uh you know some laughs and overall like uh cool aliens to look at the ships were kind of neat um it was just a really good show i mean i know you just got off your big star trek kick and i don't know how this would hit you after watching so much star trek and being as much of a star trek person as you and patrick are but i thought it was actually pretty good um i kind of was like wanting to watch one episode and then kick it off our list because i thought it was going to be crap but it actually ended up being much better than i thought so <laughs> I think we're going to probably watch uh, the next few. And you know, if it's of the same quality, we're probably going to watch the whole series, the whole first season, I guess. So um, would you be interested in taking on something like this, even though you are, you know, uh, well-versed in the true Star Trek? I would not. And I only say that because I know myself and I know my habits and I know that I rarely, rarely watch TV. And so... Like, usually the only time I watch TV is whenever, like, Patrick and I are sitting down to, like, eat dinner and we'll watch, like, an episode of Star Trek or we'll watch, like, the new series Star Trek Discovery that's been on or something like that. And I – and we don't even, like, sit down – it's not, like, a nightly thing. Like, we don't, like, schedule dinner every night and sit down and watch an episode and, you know, clean our plates and whatever. It's maybe, like, a few times a week. So I am doing too many things to to take this show in right now, I think. No worries, no worries. But uh, would you be, like, ethically opposed to watching something like this? I mean, I know you watched a bunch of, like, real Star Trek. Would you feel like, no, I don't have time for a Star Trek wannabe? Or would you be like, yeah, I like Star Trek. I would like something else that was kind of like it similarly. Like, do you think, like, you've you've got enough Star Trek in your life? Or would you be open to more? <laughs> I mean, I'm open to the idea of watching... Uh, of watching more like I, I I I mean I viewed the show uh, before see I mean I haven't seen it as just like a oh this is gonna be like a really silly parody of Star Trek but if it's actually done like with some heart I guess then I don't know maybe that would make it more interesting to me <clears throat> but I'm gonna segue very quickly and then we can <clears throat> make our way back around to TV because I actually watched um a the first episode 
of the fourth season of Black Mirror on Netflix. And that episode is kind of a Star Trek parody. Have you heard? Oh, I heard about this. I heard about I mean, I know what Black Mirror is, but I did hear that there was like this full on like Star Trek kind of. Uh, I don't know anything about it. You want to tell me about it? But I, I did hear it was a Star Trek episode. Yeah. OK. So like a few weeks ago, Patrick, because because uh, Black Mirror is like it's like a big thing. It was like a like and th- I'm kind of saying this for people who haven't heard of it or maybe don't know the the background of it. Um, I think the show was like UK based for a couple of seasons and then Netflix picked it up and then it became like a more for season three and season four became a more like broader audience thing and like Netflix has a pretty big follow or uh, Black Mirror has a pretty big following and I watched um, my first episode of Black Mirror and all the episodes are, are disconnected like they're each self-contained stories and I think they're anywhere from like 45 minutes to like an hour and a half long or something like that and I watched my first episode of Black Mirror maybe like a, a few maybe like three or four months ago I watched an episode from season three and I wasn't really that impressed with it. I cuz you know, this is one of those shows that like shows that like everybody raves about. It's like, "Oh, it's all this dark dystopian future technology, alternate timeline, blah blah blah, like so interesting about humanity and technology." And the first episode I watched was one where people um and forgive me if I've mentioned this on the show before. It's an episode where um, Bryce Dallas Howard, who was in the most recent Jurassic Park movie, um she plays this really like kind of like yuppie like sorority girl kind of woman and they have everybody in the world has an app on their phone and instead of it being like you know like pictures that you post and people like like them or you know retweet them or whatever it's just like people give you points for your personality like every time you interact with somebody they can like leave a heart for you that like makes your personality score go up and it like and it's just kind of like like she's looking at an apartment and in one part of the episode and her like personality score has to be a certain number before they'll even like let her fill out an application to live in the apartment because it's only for like, you know, like, I don't know, like high personality people or like, you know, likable people or whatever you want to call it. So it's basically like an episode where everybody's trying to be like people pleasers and everybody's like, you know, just trying to, to live that life because they want everybody to like them and they want their like physical scores on their phones to reflect that. And to be honest, the episode I thought was really stupid because it's, like, the whole vibe I get from Black Mirror is that, like, it's a bunch of, like, guys who think they're writing, like, the most, like, prolific episode of television ever about, like, technology in the future. But really, it's just kind of not that interesting to me, personally. And the episode that I watched uh, last... I actually watched it last night, yeah, um, is the season premiere for season four. And the, the episode... It's kind of a Star Trek parody because it's about a guy who works at like a like a video game firm. It's kind of like a VR firm, and they're like making a video game, and he is modeling. I mean, in the episode, he's very clearly modeling the game that they're making after Star Trek, but it's called like Space Force or something in the episode. But it looks exactly like Star Trek, and so what he does, and he's kind of like your average, like kind of like creepy well like kind of like slightly chubby like white boy programmer nerd like whatever you think of that stereotype i guess this is kind of what it is in the game and he's kind of like a pushover in real life and like nobody really likes him a whole lot he just kind of fades into the background and so he has the game a version of the game on his private server at home and he takes 
people he gets people's dna from the office like if somebody like drinks out of a coffee cup and throws it away he like grabs the lid to the coffee cup when nobody's watching and he has this machine at his house and it like scans their dna in and it clones that person into the game and in the game when he plays it he's like the captain of the starship and he's like respected and powerful and everybody in the crew has to act like they love him and that he's like always making the right decisions i mean it's basically like you know like a a white male like power fantasy thing and he's a pushover in real life and then he gets to like be all powerful in in the game and so but what the episode doesn't tell you at the beginning is that whenever he clones the people into the game they are cloned self-aware entities in the game like the woman in the office she like her office real life version of herself continues to exist but then her cloned version who retains all the memories from up to that point exists in the game as well like a copied and pasted version and so they try to like rebel and take over the ship so like half of it is star trek and half of it is like the real like video game office space and i've got to be honest i i didn't really like this episode either and like neither did patrick like we watched it and, like, I just got that. I'm sure that because every episode is self-contained, like, there are some really great ones, and there are probably some that aren't so good. And maybe I'm just, like, striking out on and watching the wrong episodes. But I just continue to get that whiff of, like, you can tell <laughs> that it's just, like, like, a tech bro white dude at his desk, like, writing this episode and thinking that he's, like, oh, I'm going to really make a powerful statement about technology and humanity. And it just ends up, you know, coming off, like... Just, like, a predictable storyline. Like, oh, it's a fucking white programmer who steals his, his, his... Like, these women that work in the office that he likes. He, like, steals their coffee cups and clones them into the game. And then they rebel. And it's just, like... I don't know, man. Like, I'm not... I, I have, like, based on the t- two episodes of Black Mirror I've seen, I have, like, zero interest in watching anything else in the series. And I just think that... It just must be one of those things that, like like so many other things in life that a lot of other people are like, wow, this is so good. It's so powerful. It's so interesting. And I watch it and I'm just like, this is it. Like that, that's what's so powerful and interesting. And like, I'm not trying to be a jerk, but it just doesn't click with me. And, um, and I'm just not, I don't know, I'm just not into it. I have only seen two episodes of black mirror. And incidentally, um, just of, uh, as a little bit of flavor, I did a little bit of reading up on it, um, in the past, when I first had heard people saying it was so great and it was, it was starting to be like a thing. Um, and apparently the name comes from your phone because when you turn off your phone, the screen is black and it's a mirror. So the whole premise of the show initially was like how technology can fuck with your life or how it's changing our life or like how, you know, the weird things that can happen. So the black mirror they refer to is actually supposed to be like us staring at screens. And and then that is kind of like supposed to be the theme of the series. Um, which I thought was kind of a neat idea, but I saw the very first two episodes of the very first series. I think uh, one was <laughs> about a politician who is forced to do a bunch of things that are really gross, um, and then the other one was about this weird future society where people like live in basically cages, and you ride a bike in order to generate electricity for the grid and you want to try to like earn more electricity so you can earn stuff for yourself and kind of improve your life uh both of those i thought were like horrifically depressing uh they were just really soul crushing and really sad and gross and as as much as i really want to watch those because i think they probably um 
I think I probably would would like most of them. I mean, I heard some episodes are better than others, and I, you know, maybe you are hitting the bad ones. I don't know for sure, but after those first two, I was like, oh my god, like I can't watch those now because <laughs> li- real life is already too fucking depressing. I don't need this much sadness and awfulness to be like on my TV. So I bailed after that, but I would be interested in watching it at some point in the future when there is like more joy in the world. Uh, and I need something to balance it out. But right now, it's too dark, too dark for me, <laughs> and I bailed. So, anyway, um, let's do a couple of quick things. I want to give a quick shout out to a mo- two movies I just watched, and then we should probably get on to Jeroen's questions, and then get on to the actual fucking actual show that we're supposed show. to be doing here. Uh, I just watched. Uh, you know, my son and I watch like weird rando B movies and just sci-fi garbage and you know whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, we picked something at random off of Netflix that actually ended up being like super bizarre but super good. It was called Maki M A K K H I. It's from India, and it was totally not at all what I expected. I had no idea what it was going to be. Like the premise, like when you read the Netflix um, little synopsis on it, is like oh. This guy gets killed and he comes back as a fly uh, to get revenge. And I'm like, oh, well, okay. That, that, I mean, weird, but okay, that sounds interesting. Maybe he'll be a robo fly or, you know, <laughs> some kind of sci fi brain transference or who knows. So, but like, no, like, we didn't really realize it was from India. So, like, the first maybe 20 minutes of the movie, totally straight up like romance, Bollywood, singing, dancing numbers. And me and my son are looking at each other like, oh my God, what's going on? Like these guys are just, I mean, it was entertaining. Like the music was good and the dancing was impressive, but I'm like, I, this is not what I expected it to be. Right. And so at one point, uh, I'm not going to go on all the details, but the main character is in love with this girl. He gets killed um, through some really shitty circumstances. And then he gets reincarnated as an actual fly. And so the entire rest of the movie is him, uh, trying to get revenge on the guy that killed him. And it is just like the craziest, most bizarre. It, it kind of swings back and forth from being like really dark to like really super funny to being kind of slapstick to being kind of sad. And it just kind of just like rolls through the, all these different feelings. And it just was like really unusual. It felt like a very un-American kind of movie. And I mean that in a sense where it didn't really follow like the usual tropes of like American films where the notes that they hit and the beats that they hit were just different and it just went different places and they did like just a very different attitude in the whole the whole way they made the film which i thought was really refreshing and interesting and cool so um i thought it was actually really good and my son ended up really liking it a lot too and apparently it was very popular in india Uh, i guess they made a couple sequels i don't know if they were any good i'm not even sure how you could even do that movie again but i do recommend it maki m-a-k-k-h-i if you were in the mood for something fucking bizarre and off the wall, but still really good, uh, I really liked it a lot. And it's, you know, if you got Netflix, it's on there. You can just check it out. You don't like it, nothing uh, nothing lost. Um, so thumbs up to that one. I want to give also a just real quick shout out to What We Do in the Shadows. Have you seen this one or heard about this one? Uh, I've heard about it and I've seen the trailer. It's the movie that the guy that directed Thor Ragnarok did before Thor, correct? Exactly so. That was exactly why we checked it out, because we really like Thor Ragnarok, and I liked his sense of humor, and it was just, you know, it hit me in all the right spots. And I had heard people talking about this movie, uh, so it's called What We Do in the Shadows. I saw it on, I want to say it was Amazon Prime for free. So if you have Amazon Prime, you could probably watch it for free. Um, it's basically like a, like a, like a mockumentary. Uh, this guy goes to film the secret society of vampires and supernatural creatures living in New Zealand. And it is the fucking funniest, most bizarre shit. I mean, 
I just was talking about how I liked the Indian sensibility in that movie. I am a big fan of New Zealand movies. Um, I don't know what's going on in New Zealand, but those fuckers are funny and they are, <laughs> they're dark. They are dark and funny in equal measure. And I really like that in my movies. Like they're not afraid to kill people and get really dark and gory, but like they can also laugh at the same time. Like a lot of Peter Jackson's earlier work or, um, I saw a couple other films that were also on Netflix uh, that were from New Zealand. I just, I really like the New Zealand sensibility uh, of those filmmakers. And that's where the Thor Ragnarok guy is from. So he does this fake documentary about following these vampires around. And like, they just like fuck off at home and they just do stupid stuff. And they, they're bored a lot of the time. And they try to go out in the town, but because they, they have to be invited in, they can never go anywhere because no one ever invites them in. And they just like, they're kind of sad and they just try to do the best they can in their little roommate situation. They're all sharing this like uh, creepy house, and it is just it is the funniest fucking thing. Like I'm not I'm not really doing like the best job of selling why it's so funny, but like it, the the take on vampires in this movie is hilarious. And uh, if you like New Zealand films or you like that style of humor, I I was rolling. I thought it was absolutely hilarious. Really really well done. Um, and yeah, they did not shy away from getting dark too. Like there's definitely uh, some really bloody, gross, nasty stuff in there too. But overall, really, really funny. Um, is this your cup of tea at all, Corey, or not? Whenever I watched a trailer for it, it didn't seem like something I would watch. Cause I don't, I mean, I'm sure that even though the movie is like totally staged and all that stuff, like I'm not into the mockumentary thing as much because I can't help but feel like that. Like, there are situations in which movies like that kind of seem like pranks. Like, it, like there can seem like like innocent people will get it, will be getting, like, pulled into these movie situations. And maybe they're, like, uncomfortable or, like, the situations surrounding them are uncomfortable. And I kind of just, like, can't handle stuff like that. So I don't think this is something I would watch. Oh, okay. Well, just to um, – I'm not sure that it's your sense of humor – Anyway, I mean, you got to be kind of in a really particular frame of mind to kind of click with this. And I just watched this right, you know, the right movie on the right day. But this is one where they they don't actually do like the Borat thing where they're making fun of people on the street. I mean, it's all it's all just like everybody in there is an actor and they know what they're doing. So they don't like put people on the spot. If that is that is very uncomfortable sensation. So I hear you on that one. But that doesn't happen in this movie anyway. So anyway, uh, I loved it. I thought it was hilarious. My wife really loved it, too. She thought it was incredibly funny. Too gory for the son, but I'm sure he would have loved it as well. Uh, but that's all I'm going to talk about for right now. And uh, we should probably, before we forget again, let's get to Jeroen's questions really quickly. Um, let me read these off and then you can answer first and we'll, we'll go through these real quickly. So these are from uh, Jeroen, super fan. Also, Jeroen, if you're listening, uh, hello to Dex and Ben, your sons, if they are riding the backseat as you're listening to this podcast as you're driving. Um. Jeroen sent in questions a couple weeks ago. I forgot to put them on the script. My bad. I apologize for that. Uh, and we will get to these right now. So the first one. Are you ready, Corey? I am ready. Okay. Ready, ready. Jeroen says, do you often fight with your partner? I ask this because one prejudice I have about Americans is that they don't often voice their true opinions in public, which is nice in the public domain, but seems strange to me in a household situation. Do you guys bitch about being too hot, too cold, window open, windows closed, changing the car position, and so on? Uh, or should I just look for another partner? Uh, Corey, what say you? Should he look for another partner? Do you often fight with your partner? How does that go for you? Uh, well, the, his, his, his follow-up question, should I look for another partner, does that mean... I know he's like joking when he asks this, but I, I'm wondering if that means that 
if he's bickering too much, should he look for another partner or should he look for another partner because he's not bickering enough? Because like in my situation, Patrick and I bicker like all the time. Um, and of course it's always, but it's never like serious. It's always about like stupid stuff. Like he has like, we, you know, we both have our habits. Like he has a habit of like, we have a, a couch in the living room. It's, it's like three cushions, but it's not very big. It's, you know, a very modest, um, couch and he has a habit of getting home from work and sitting on the couch and he will put his legs up all the way across the couch and he will take up almost the entire couch and i'll be like oh hey do you think you can carve out like 10 percent of this couch for me to sit on in the living room with you or did you just want to take the whole thing up and like sometimes like the cats will be on the couch too and so you know little things like that or we'll like I don't know, like, we, like, tickle each other a lot. Um, like, if he's going to bed and I'm not going to bed yet and I kind of, like, tuck him in, like, I'll, like, you know, reach down to, like, tickle his tummy and he'll try to, like, slap my hand and stuff. And <laughs> it's just, like, really, really stupid stuff. Um, but if he's talking about, like, actually fighting, like, I mean, Patrick and I haven't, like, actually fought. Like, I mean, and by fight, I mean, like, argument because we obviously have never, like, physically, um, like, assaulted each other. But, um, I mean, god damn, like, I mean, Patrick and I just aren't the kind of people that fight. Like, every once in a while, we'll get, like, irritated with each other. But usually it's, like, over something that's so stupid that, like, one of us realizes that it's not even worth fighting over in the first place because it's so silly. Um, but I can't, I can't, like, honestly can't even remember the last time we've had, like, an actual, like, like argument. And I don't even... I mean, maybe because we never have. I mean, we're just the kind of people that like to quietly discuss things um, rather than, you know, be like, you know, boiling and crazy and, uh, you know, like that. But I mean, I mean, we bicker a lot, but I feel like as long as both parties are aware that the bickering is coming from like a silly place or that it's not like a serious place that I feel like that's kind of like a like a healthy relationship thing. Um, what do you, how are you and Gina with this? Um, I think that we get along really well. Um, I think in the beginning, a lot of it was just kind of acclimating to each other. Like, because her parents and her upbringing was very different from my parents and my upbringing. Um, in our relationship, I'm the guy who always wants to talk about feelings and talk things out. She's very stoic and doesn't want to talk about things. And she stuffs her feelings down. Uh, because that was how her parents raised her, and I'm still angry at them about that. Um, but, you know, once we kind of got to know each other, and once we found a good way to be, like, gosh, I mean, I can't, I mean, no, we don't, we don't fight, like, angry fight, like, almost, like, never. Like, I mean, we, um, you know, we'll get upset about things, and uh, I've just learned over the years to, like, you know, give it some time, cool off a little bit, come back when everybody's feeling better, we'll talk it out, it's totally fine. And it, honestly, in most in most things, um, a philosophy that works really good for me, and I don't know if this works for other people or not, but, like, you know, I, I just, like, let her have her way for whatever she wants for, like, if it's not, like, a huge major thing. Like, I want to really pick my battles if there's something that we disagree on. <laughs> and to be frank, we don't really disagree about much. I mean, we're on the same page probably, like, 99% of the time. We have the, the same political views, same views on parenting, same views on sexuality, same views on relationships. But we talk, like, all the time. Like, we constantly talk. So it's like, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And so, like, over the last, you know, 13 years, we've really um, hashed it out. We know where each other stands. We're very comfortable with where we're at. If there's something we disagree on, then we'll talk about it and just kind of, you know, work things through so that we 
eventually get on the same page. And so it really helps that we're not we're not really opposite on like anything. I mean, I think the thing we agree on the we disagree on the most is like she really likes black licorice and I think it's fucking disgusting. Or uh, <laughs> she really likes uh, peppermint and I fucking can't stand peppermint. Um, stuff like that. I mean, like stuff like that, which is like no big deal because I simply don't eat the black licorice and then problem solved. Your right? marriage so it's not is a big doomed, deal. Brad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like 99% of the time, I mean, if she wants something, like if it's not like life or death to me, I'm just like, yeah, okay, whatever. You know, you want to, you know, like the other day she's like, oh, I want to go and uh, I want to redo the kitchen. I want to rearrange our Tupperware and I'm going to put this thing over here and I'm like, cool. Like, go for it. I don't care. I don't need to put my fucking two cents in. I don't care about that. Like, it's not, you know, I don't, I don't put in my opinion when I really don't care because then like, why would I do that? You know, like you're like, I'm trying to assert dominance or something. So like, I just, I just don't do that. And if, uh, and it just goes fine. It goes fine. And then when there's something that I really feel very strongly about, I'll be like, no, this is a place where I'm like, I'm actually speaking up right now. This is when I feel this way. And then we'll talk about it and we just work it out. So um, talking, talking, talking is really important. Um, you got to talk all the time. Communication is so important. But I don't, I would not say that we bitch about things. I don't think that we bicker in a bad way. I mean, we'll joke. I mean, kind of like you do. I mean, I'll, we'll have our little jokes or whatever, but it's not, it's not ever mean spirited. It's not, um, passive aggressive or anything like i mean if there's something we really feel strongly about we'll just say it and then we'll just talk about it and we'll just work it out i think the last time we had like a real like fight which is where we were both like really mad and needed to just like physically leave the room i mean that was probably like fuck like 12 years ago like it was like in the first year that we got together and after that first year things really smoothed out because we just like really got to know each other that well so no i don't think that we we don't bicker. We do not often fight. Um, we joke. We choose our battles. We talk about things. But no, we don't fight. And I don't think that fighting is healthy. I don't think that that's really how people are supposed to be. So, Jeroen, uh, you know you know you best. Like, you do you, bro. But if you feel like this is um, something that makes you unhappy, maybe look at that. Maybe talk to your lady about it and see... Are you guys just opposites on many things? Are you not really agreeing on a lot of things because you're just very different people? I mean, who knows? You know, I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to speak for your situation. Don't know your situation, but Corey sounds like you guys, you and Patrick, get along pretty well. I get along with my wife pretty well, and uh, I would not want to be with a partner where we were like actually fighting a lot. I, that would not be a place where I would stay. Corey, what about you? Uh, I mean, I probably wouldn't, but I mean, I also know that different people are wired different ways and some people are just you know volatile i guess and they prefer to be around people who are volatile as well um but i'm definitely not that person and neither is patrick you don't strike me as a drama seeker you don't strike (laughs) me as that person all right hopefully that is of some use to you jeroen um your final question uh jeroen says did you ever hear about living in a tiny house would you consider doing this, for example, because of a smaller ecological footprint, more financial freedom, and independence? So, tiny houses. Corey, do you know what a tiny house is? Have you thought about them? Would you consider it? First of all, I just want to say that I, I adore every time Jeroen sends his questions in because it's like, to- like every question is totally separate from the last one. Like, oh, tell me about how you bicker in your relationships. And then 
oh, have you ever thought about living in a tiny house? Like, two totally different <laughs> things, which I love. Honestly, I love it. I love um, it, too. I love it, too. Same, same. For sure. Um, I love these questions, too. Yeah. Random questions. Well, I'm, I'm definitely aware of the tiny house thing uh, because I used to watch, whenever I was bored a lot and I was watching more TV, like, a couple years ago, I would watch House Hunters on Netflix a lot, which is a dumb show, but I love it. And they had a whole, like, season of, like, tiny house hunters. And the idea of a tiny house is basically just, like, a tiny house it's usually like one room maybe two rooms um this, most of them you can hook up to like a trailer and like take it around with you um i don't think i could ever do that i mean i i don't like think i i like the idea of it and i think it's neat like having a smaller space just like renting a little plot of land or something like that or being able to like travel across the united states and like kind of like take your house with you but i know that in my current living situation with me and Patrick and two cats and, you know, all of the shit we have, you know, we've got like a big screen TV, we've got a computer, we've got a laptop, we've got a fucking giant wardrobe full of clothes, we've got, you know, a dresser full of clothes, a closet full of clothes, and, and just like all of this stuff. And I know that the idea of doing the tiny house thing is to like really downsize and like strip the things out of your life that you don't need or you know to learn to live um you know on a much smaller scale and to live life in a different way and i respect people who do that but realistically i don't think i could ever do it just because of the sheer amount of stuff i have and the my my inability to want to get rid of it and live you know a lifestyle like that all right. Uh, yes, we have heard of tiny houses. And actually, it is in our plan to eventually be in a tiny house. Oh, are you um, serious? I'm dead serious. We would we would consider doing it now, except that, number one, Seattle is a fucking expensive place to live. <laughs> and we are in a really great apartment with a really great landlord. So I'm not going to rock the boat. You know, knock on wood that we get to live here for as long as possible because um, we've got a great place in a great location at a great price. And that's not something that most people in Seattle can say. So we're not considering it at the moment because we're very happy where we are. And it's very close to work, too, which is great. So we're kind of in the best possible situation right now. So it's not in the cards. But uh, my wife talks about it all the time. We've looked at tiny houses before. And I think that we could do it because our apartment is not the biggest apartment. And we have a lot of stuff. And we have a, a son. And I think that we very much live the philosophy of use all the space that you have as much as possible I mean, we're not hoarders or anything. I mean, we're not like, um, you know, like we're not walking through tiny trails of boxes in our living room or anything. But, you know, we, we use like the walls. We use like the upper surfaces of the walls. We store things. We hang things. We put up little storage areas. We do, you know, like we use as much of the fucking apartment as possible. So we, we pack a lot of stuff in here uh, and we make it very comfortable and very livable. Um, I think most people would think that our house seems like cluttered to them. But I think for us, it's perfect because not only do we use every single room to the most efficient, uh, you know, potential, but also everything that we have in here is really important to us. We don't have a lot of bullshit that we don't care about. So everything in here is something that's significant. And like, when you come to my house, you will see like everything in here speaks to the Galloway family, like every poster on the wall, every little statue on a shelf, every little, you know, plates and forks that we use. I mean, everything we have, really speaks to who we are. So it's all significant and we don't have a lot of just bullshit that we would probably chuck. But uh, so currently the plan, and this kind of gets back to our, um, our parenting philosophy uh, is that we are going to live here for as long as possible. Uh, my son, uh, my youngest son, 
when he gets old enough and he wants to like go to college or if he wants to get a job somewhere, we'll be like, okay, so where are you going to? And he'll go like, whatever. And we'll just go and follow him. And we'll just go and live where he lives because my job I can do almost anywhere. Um, same thing for my wife right now, her job, she can do remotely, which is great. So we, if he wanted to move, you know, like let's say for example, he wanted to go dig fossils in Montana. We'd be like, okay, cool. We'll just move and live there with you and we can um, split costs and support him. And if he ends up, uh, you know, getting married if and having kids, I don't know if that's his future, but if he does, we'll go along. And I keep telling him like, you get a house with a backyard and me and your mom will be in the tiny house in your backyard. And then we'll just like cook and clean for you. And we'll watch your kids while you guys are trying to get established and stuff. Because I mean, this kind of connects back with our, this is like a really long discussion. I mean, this is like a larger, much larger discussion <laughs> about American culture, about how we live, about the political scene. But it's like, I think that the American drive for independence is ultimately like a really negative thing. And we've kind of like spit in the face of thousands of years of human survival where people were, you know, in groups or, um, you know, villages or tribes and like everybody working together to support everybody else. You know, the whole it takes a village kind of thing. And then, you know, that's how humans have lived for thousands and thousands of years. And then all of a sudden we get to America, like in the last, I don't know, I wouldn't even say like the last hundred years, maybe. And it's like everybody, every man for himself, go to stand on your own feet. Don't need help from anybody. If you can't do it on your own, then you're a failure. And like that is just flying in the face of human evolution. That's not how people are really meant to be. And so especially with today's um, financial situation, things cost more than they've ever cost. There's so many penalties and fees and so many hurdles that kids these days are going to have to overcome. I mean, I feel like it was really hard for me and Gina coming up and we had a lot harder than our parents and our parents had a lot harder than our grandparents in terms of finances. I mean, you know, like I talked to uh, uh, this guy that I know and he bought a house where I live. Houses in my area right now are between 750000 and a million dollars. I can't afford that ever. I will never be able to afford that. When he bought his house here, he said it was $17,000. So there's a real big fucking difference between $17,000 and $1 million. And kids coming up these days, I just don't even know how they're going to do it. Like, you know, college is like $50,000 a year in downtown Seattle. How do you pay for that? I don't know how you pay for that. Like, you know, rent is ridiculous. Rent in my area, easily three, dollars $4,000. It's like, how do you pay for that? I don't know. So we're going to try to split costs with our son to make it easier for him. If he needs childcare, we can provide that for free. We can help out. And we're trying to do more of the support each other, be there for each other kind of thing. We don't really believe in the every man for himself, which I guess kind of flies in the face of current American philosophy. But I mean, real talk, dude, like it's hard out there and you got to pool resources to survive. So we eventually are going to be living in a tiny house in my son's backyard after he decides where he wants to move. So that is currently our plan. So, Jeroen, yes, tiny house. <laughs> I will be fascinated in the future to hear about your journey and developments, if this is a thing that ends up going through. Oh, I'm sure it will, dude. We're going to have, like, a little, a tiny little two-story. Bottom story is going to be a giant, uh, it's going to be two TVs and all of our games, and the upstairs is going to be a bed, and that's it. That's where we're going to live. That's all we need. <laughs> it's going to be fine. Go fuck upstairs. You're done fucking. Come down, play some games. Oh, my that's God. <laughs> <laughs> all right we have run this fucking banter segment into the ground we should probably get to the fucking show what do you say please let's do that <laughs> all right let's talk about some games all right 